Hello there. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast. For London has fallen. My name is Tom Chick, and I am here with Christian Mos- with Mos- Moskowski. Uh, you can just refer to me as Right Pod Three. And with a London has fallen tagline or two, maybe three, Kelly Wine. Sometimes dead is better. <laughs> See, I just repurposed an old tagline from a different one. Oh, I don't get that one. London has fallen. Sometimes dead is better. <laughs> I'm thinking it's cynic. He's doing Pet Cemetery, but that's awesome. Just like... I still don't get it. The am, I, am I dumb Pet here? Cemetery. Is Kelly Wand obscure? Okay. I guess Kelly Wand is obscure. Good. Both things can be true. Okay. Yeah. Hey. Uh, all right, Kelly Wand. What, what if what if you float that tagline at like a board meeting, uh, and I'm one of the guys on the board of directors who you have to impress, and I'm going like, huh? What? I don't understand what you're talking about. What would you then do to win me over? What, what's another tagline you'd try on me? Wait, I want to do the first one again. Okay. We'll see I want to say it like I want to say it the way it would look on the poster. Okay. The, the listener sitting. London has fallen. Sometimes dead is better. Yeah, didn't help me one little bit. Sorry. Uh, you need All right, to give me another. Like, um, Lurch. Oh, what's his name? Fred. Um, Fred Durst. Fred Cassidy. Oh, good lord. Fred Durst. That's neither. Of that's right. Never mind. All right, Kelly. One. Hey, tagline. That one. That one has been soundly rejected. By Dingus saying Fred Durst. No, I did not say Fred Durst. That was Tom who said that. He was bringing up Lip Biscuit oh. all the time. Who's the guy who who is Lurch in Pet Cemetery? Sometimes Dad is better. Who's that guy? Oh, uh, Fred Gwynn. I see what you're doing. Fred Gwynn, thank you. Right. Fred Durst. <laughs> At least go with his brother, Robert. I'm so glad I understand that reference, though, that you said Fred Durst. The other, okay, taglines, Tom. Here you go. The butler's about to redo it. Oh, I like that one. Okay. Yeah. I almost don't need to hear a third one. Is there a third one? It's like Die Hard. You kind of did that joke with the Deadpool Spider-Man thing. (laughs) (laughs) I have a slash for that, by the way, but we'll talk about that later. Slash? Yeah, Die Hard slash something. Okay, well. Is that a new thing we're doing? No, it's just something that I had in my notes, but we'll do it later. Don't you worry. You're, You're the tagline guru. Kelly Wan, sometimes Dingus needs to announce a joke like well in advance of using it. <laughs> I have a slash coming up! <laughs> Why do I sound like Everybody. a uh, like ah. a Leia all of a sudden? <laughs> Leia? Uh, Kelly Wan, let's say that Dingus and I are in a... In, uh, we're, we're trying to find out which one of us knows more about movies by you reading us an IMDb synopsis <laughs> you. and finding out which one of us can determine what the movie is more quickly. All right. This doesn't see. I don't know whose zone this plays to because okay. we all see action movies because we're all you know bros, right? right? All right, try and guess which one this is. I don't think it's a movie we ever talked about. Okay, but we should have. That's your hint. It's the movie that made me want to talk about it. Capital Policeman. <laughs> Even that's weird. No way. Capital- yeah, I like I like where your mind's headed. Capital Policeman John Cale has just been denied his dream job with the Secret Service of Protecting... Oh, uh, White House Down, duh. James Sawyer. You knew from which part? Uh, denied his uh, something Secret Service. Like, yeah, because Channing Tatum wasn't cut out for the Secret Service. Yeah. He wasn't? 
According to White House Down, he wasn't. He was cat. He was out for fox catching. And for dancing and for stepping up. He can catch mm-hmm. foxes, he can step up, but he's not quite Secret Service material. Wait, he's in stepping up. And for popping out of the floor and getting his head blown up. <laughs> Did you know he's in um, that well, movie? Step up. Is it Dingus wasn't – real quick, Kelly, one. Hold on. D- uh, Dingus wasn't uh, your guide to everyday saints before step up or was it after? Do you know? No, I think it was before. Yeah, because that was like super early Channing Tatum proving himself. Yeah, um, yeah. And then after that, step up, and you're like, oh, this guy can dance too. Yeah, and Sheila Booth can lose all of his teeth. That was Fury, I think, is the tank movie where he lost one of his teeth, not all of them. Yeah, but he was also in your guide. Right, right. That was where also. I mean, I don't think we, I don't think he was ridiculed back then in your guide to everyday saints. It was like before he became a punchline, kind of. Right. He's making only his teeth dance. Speaking of punchline. I don't get that one either. Do you have another one you can try on me, Kelly Warren? Channing Tatum's in that movie where Hillary Swank has to pretend she's a dude. I think he's he's her brother in it. Are you like, serious? Just one of the no. guys. Whatever. That can't be. And Boys just Don't Cry, Channing Tatum. Yeah. No, that's not the name of it. Where Hillary Swank pretends she's a dude is indeed Boys Don't Cry. Yeah. Okay, he, but he it called is. it just one of the guys. Oh, that's <laughs> the least <laughs> one. Listen. I know half of what I'm talking about, which is above par or subpar, <laughs> which is a good one. <laughs> subpar is good. Oh, look at that be true. Tom, and stop making shit you, up. You think of the accused as my cousin Vinny, apparently, as well. <sighs> Tom, he's making fun of me. I know. Dingus, no oh, more. Show up. All right, I'm backing off. That's not why I'm here. Dingus, rather than picking on poor little Kelly, why don't you tell the yeah. listeners? Now that I, I have I've soundly won the... IMDb movie synopsis game, which is a little unfair because I've been talking to a friend about that movie like this House week. Dance. Yeah, because of, because of what we saw this week related to, you know, Olympus is down, White House is, uh, wait. Oh, Olympus has fallen, White House down. That whole, those movies Olympus came out about falls. the same time. White House is down. Right. White House down. So I was White recently House. explaining White House down to oh. a friend of mine. So all of that stuff about his, him not being cut out for the Secret Service. Uh, did you get to the part in the synopsis? Kelly Wan, is there anything in the synopsis for White House Down about his daughter? Uh, the last sentence is, now with the nation's government falling into chaos and time running out, it's up to Kale to save the president, his daughter, and the country. Oh, no, yeah, no, he doesn't want to let his little girl down with the news. He takes her on a tour of the White House. Right. Which sounds is, just like the other one. Is his daughter named Connor by any chance? <laughs> No, but I've told you that. Well, we'll get to we'll get to uh, how his daughter <laughs> figures into the plot when we're talking about London has fallen. So, uh, Cotter. Speaking of talking about London has fallen, thing is, why would that be relevant? <laughs> Connor. Uh, this week we saw London has fallen, a 2016 American action thriller sequel movie about a very difficult presidential run. It was directed by I got that. <laughs> Babak Najafi and written by Creighton Rothenberger. Patron <laughs> what? There's nothing. I wish I had that. Frankly, I wish I had I that name. I would love to be able to say at Starbucks, what, what's your name, sir? Creighton. I would love to be able to do that. <laughs> That's how you talk it from, if you worked at Starbucks. Anyway, it was written by Creighton Rothenberger. Catron <laughs> uh, Benedict. Christian Gudegast. Oh my god. You buried the lead. <laughs> and Chad St. John. 
What? That was weird, too. <laughs> Craig St. John? That's a great team. I would love to have that writing team. No, Chad. Chad St. John. Oh, that's not as good. He was one of the characters in Boogie Nights, by the way. Yeah, that's right. Chad St. John. Um, Yeah. It stars stars Gerard Butler, Aaron Eckhart, Waleed Zwayter, Angela Bassett, Jackie Earl Haley, and Charlotte Riley. Mm. Much... What about Rod Mitchell? Yeah, Dingus. What are you, sexist? What's wrong uh, with being sexy? Uh, like her mother-in-law. I mean, her mother. She was funny. <laughs> London Has Fallen is rated R. Mm-hmm. For strong uh, violence. Oh, yeah. And language throughout. You betcha. Kelly Warren, is there anything that the MPAA missed for why it should be rated R? Uh, London Falling, some Gerard Butling, and politics. Very good. But, uh, uh, London Gerard. Has Fallen opened at number two behind. <laughs> appropriate. Really? Well, behind Zootopia. Zootopia came out and did very, yeah. very well for Disney. Right. Zootopia. Um, Zootopia did something like 70 million. London Has Fallen did very well with 21 million. Uh, but it was only number two for that weekend. Okay. Made the very well bracket. Well, let's see what bracket it made for the critical response. Hmm. The percentage of reviews that are positive for London Has Fallen on Rotten Tomatoes is 25%. <laughs> Almost as much as it made. It's always good when those numbers line up. Is this 25% positive? Yeah, yes, sir. 25%. Wow. All right. Or everyone liked a quarter of it. The Metacritic rating, which is the average of various reviews as if that are scaled between 1 and 100. The Metacritic rating is 28. Oh, everyone agrees. Yeah. That's how they talk. Kelly Wan, I also think everyone agrees that we would love nothing more than the, a London has flops us. <sighs> Come on! I tried. I really thought that would that's be a good pretty, that's You can't actually, just take out a vowel. That's a pretty good swing, though. I mean, I think he's made a pretty good swing there. I didn't feel like connected. London has flops us. Hmm. And that's Dingus' idea of a good swing. It's my idea of connecting. Yeah. This is sports talk. It's my idea of connecting. I like Tom talking as a batter in the batter box. I connected with that. That's what he says after he strikes out. That's what they say in baseball. You connect, right? Like there's the pitch, you connect with it, right? That's what he says at the interview after on uh, ESPN. (laughs) I'm not going to that. I thought, how did you get this job? And then that's what he says. Like the Ben Carson of baseball players. Uh, Tom. Kind. I like that. Thanks, Dingus. Yeah. Wait a minute. Hold on. I have to think about that one. Very While I think about thing. that, Kelly Wan, why don't you tell us what the London Has Fallen synopsis actually is called? Uh, the name occurs during it. Oh, the name of the synopsis. Like That's something yeah. you can find out as you know. Okay, well, whatever it's called, hit us. Three years previously on the quarter to three Olympus's Falodcast. Give me your nuclear weapon product registration key code number, white man. Billy, which wall are you behind? No, the child character's name is William Jr. <laughs> I'm getting mocked for a okay. <laughs> Dingus, you're in the movie. That's what's important. Not whatever you just said, I can't remember. 
Alright, Kim Jong Kill, why don't you and I play a little game of fuck off? You go first. Very well, white man, fuck off! Click. No, wait, you play. I, I was supposed to be East. Hello? Let's <laughs> this back. <laughs> Listen, Mr. Vice President, you're scared, we're all scared. But I'm the assistant chief of police in Washington, D.C., and God is on our side. <gasps> Tell Gerard Butler to stand down, or I'd be threatened to shoot you now, Melissa Leo. <laughs> yeah, I pledge allegiance to Gerard Butler, thank God you're here. Yep, it's me. Take that, East Korea. I won again. Just like I did in 300. <laughs> Gerard is me, Aaron Eckhart, the President of the United States. I'm standing in front of you right now, saying this on the White House lawn here. You've just blown up democracy and saved Korea. Anything you want is yours, except the presidency or too much money. Thanks, Mr. President, but democracy means nothing to me. I think my character's married. Besides, after all the harebrained schemes we've been through, the only thing I feel like doing is going to the one country that's always shown the White House respect, London. After all, be around. What could go wrong? Again? Some words are all. London has falopaopsis. <laughs> it sounds like fallopian tubes. Wait, yeah, that's what it's supposed to be. I fucked it up. Some words are all. London has fallopiopsis. The words try to explode for a couple seconds. <laughs> a car drives ominously in Pakistan. Also, voices on the car radio are all. And in local news, expository events are occurring in the Philippines because of two Pakistani guys. One who looks sort of like Peter Sellers and the other quasi-Robert Durst-like. The driver that Peter Sellers went with sneers foreignly at this. He goes to a sand building while sinister spy movie Arabic tambourines play. So the woods are off at 11.30. He goes into a room with the Durst one in it. The Peter Sellers one is all. <laughs> Our plans of evil are successful. The Americans suspect nothing. Although, admittedly, the British are suspicious, and that is who we are attacking. Which might be problematic. <laughs> the father kisses his cheeks. You have done well, son of my son. Praise Allah. Salam alaikum. Now come. It is your sister's wedding. She shall never prove pertinent. <laughs> Peter Sellers is all. Father, wait. I have something for you. He hands him some black underwear encrusted with jewels and poop. He's all that general's ambassador secretary. Trouble us no longer. Outside, a sweaty spy types into his phone. Sweaty spy to U.S. HQ Delta. Wedding really boring. Please bomb this place. He hangs up. Then he goes, shit, opens the phone and types. Actually, hang on, wait for me to get clear for... Pakistan explodes. Meanwhile... Gerard Butler and President Aaron Eckhart race a limousine down a street in Washington, D.C. when no one watches. Some words are all 10.30. Gerard's all. Well, Mr. President, how's this for a presidential race war? He moonwalks. The president's all. Cocksucker. They both laugh and play crab ass. Then the president's all. Hey, you decided on a name for your twins and your dog yet? How about president? Gerard's all. <laughs> They're girls, maybe. The president's all. Lols. Giggling, they run away from all the limos as their shorts gradually drop and they trip and fall, breaking their ankles. Curbside, a Secret Service guy sighs and goes, Another 1069 in Pennsylvania. Over. Gerard limps home to annoy his wife. 
he's all, Hey honey, it's me, straight character Gerard Butler. Mwah. Listen, make sure you put ten baby monitors in every room except my office, because I don't want to be disturbed when I'm in there jerking. I mean, uh, protecting civilians? He goes into his office and shuts the door, then opens it again and goes, Also, I want the baby's diapers to be made out of Revlon. She's all, Gerard, it's not yours. The door slams. Gerard sighs, farts wearily, goes over to his computer, opens the one-sentence letter he's been working on for months and times. Dear Mr. President, great run today, especially there at the end. You cocksucker. Your quote marks special quote marks agent, Gerard B-U-T-T. He stops, stares at what he's written, then nods gravely while suspense moves in place. Meanwhile, the president's in the reception area of the White House filling in for the secretary who's out sick. Some words type 9.30. A guy comes up holding a phone. He's all, Mr. President, you have to take this. The president's all, all right, thank you, Steve. He takes the phone and tries to leave. <laughs> the phone cord goes taut after a few feet and yanks him over backwards. He breaks his head. The Secret Service guy sighs, raises his watch, and mutters, 10-11 in the Oval. Yeah, again. A newspaper's all. The King of England's dead. Some smaller words in boldface beneath this are all, but not by terrorists or anything. It's just a dumb coincidence. There's some aerial shots of London from other movies produced by the same studio. <laughs> Some words are all 1.30. In a conference room, the black dude's all. Looks like we have to have a special election now to nominate a new monarch. Who's president of the Yanks now? The Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders? The other dignitaries all titter. Another Australian black man's all. I voted for the Kardashians myself, and so did his majesty seconds before he jumped off Big Ben over there. As you can see, the coroners are still hosing down the payment of gallons of royal blood they all laugh again. Meanwhile, Morgan Freeman's vice president. <laughs> Gerard's... <laughs> just happened. Have you seen the first one? He's the speaker of the house in the first one. Alright, whatever, nerd. Gerard... <laughs> oh, it was a trap. It was a trap. Haha, <laughs> 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 you saw the first one. I mean, uh, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> Connor's not in this movie. I'm upset. He's referenced. They, they make Is a he... point to explain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just had his first date. Is he? He had his first date. He's ten. Yep. <laughs> he's, I think he has aged since the last movie. Yeah, oh, I thought it was like the next day. Taylor Kitchen. Gerard's walking down a hallway, whistling with his ass, when Morgan Freeman jumps on him from behind and goes, "Do you know how it feels to pull a seventy-pound growing muscle?" Me neither. He runs off. Gerard watches him go, smiling and shaking his head fondly. Some words are all 2.30. Gerard walks into the Oval Office, sees the empty desk, grins, goes over, and stands behind it. He defags the keyboard, puts some fake vomit on top of some real vomit on the chair, then pages through a health care plan for the poor and signs it President Cogsucker. <laughs> Mischievous. Toilet flushes. The president comes out unzipped. He smirks. Fucking Gerard. By the way, I have to go to the King of England's funeral for some reason. Gerard's all, oh, are you guys close? The 
President Saul. Your balls are close. <laughs> he slides past, hits on the vomits, and makes his usual expression. Then he's all, seriously, be careful out there, pal. It's a fucking police state. Gerard's all. Later at Gerard's home, his wife's all. Say bye-bye to daddy, fetus. Say bye-bye, daddy. Bye-bye. Hello. I said say bye-bye. Fine, fuck you, man. Sorry, honey. This takes after you. Some words are all 3.30. Later on, Air Force One. <laughs> I think the comma should have been after later there. But anyway. Halle Berry sniffs Gerard, then goes, You've been nested again. Mm-hmm. Gerard's all, <laughs> Guess my character knows you. Speaking of which, I want you to be my fairy godmother. She looks away while suspense music plays. Then she looks at him and goes, I'm honored, but... Some numbers are all 4.30. <laughs> There's the same aerial stock footage of London as before. Some spy letters hunt and peck. A London pub someplace. Parentheses classified. Gerard belches on a bartender. Then he's all... So, so then I held the cell phone defiantly, and then I tell the Korean character, Hey, let's play a game fuck off. I'll go first. Oh, uh, wait. No, he said it. He... I held the phone. Very good, sir. Here's your, um, arsenic and old lace, sir. That's requested, sir. I might have spat in it, sir. Ha! Huh. You limeys in your accents. I have no idea what you monkeys are ever gibbering about. He belches again. Meanwhile, London's famous rainy courtyard. A sinister little girl. <laughs> uh, I think I love this movie. A sinister little girl heads an old woman a white rose. The woman's all bloody lovely, dearie. Otter Bridge Japanese guy in a limo's all. What is taking so long? The Chinese get to hitting beside him's all. Yeah, I know. This bridge was supposed to collapse half an hour. <laughs> Gerard gets out of a different limo in front of Buckingham Palace, raises his watch, hits a button on the side, and goes, Are you secure? Yep. A nearby Secret Service goes on, Sir, that's just an ordinary watch. The president leans his chin towards Gerard's and goes, Hey, what's wrong? You look stupid. Gerard's all, Nothing bugs the shit out of me. Uh, that's two sentences. FYI. What Kelly did earlier. Eckhart's all. Uh, wait, so you like when things feel wrong? You're the worst service agent in history. Nearby, a guy uses a metal detector to find his wallet under a limo. Gerard's all. Yeah, I guess you're right. He looks at us and goes, Let's just all focus on the fact that I just officially declared that I noticed nothing wrong at this juncture in the story. As he's talking. <laughs> A bunch of redcoats over his shoulder raise rifles and start shooting a woman wearing a coat in the arm. All over the city, shit starts turning into CG. The black Australian guy watches dailies of all the explosion footage of the government's <laughs> A woman wearing a headset's all. Sir, London has fallen. On screen number 12. The rest of these are just screensavers. So get me drawed. Now! All over the city, people off-screen are mildly annoyed. Worst of all, a poignant close-up shows us that the white flower's been wounded. Uh. Meanwhile, Gerard drives the president around a traffic circle while guys on motorcycles shoot Uzi's at them. Gerard's all, damn, these terrorists even drive on the wrong side of the road. Are there no depths to which those depraved bastards won't sink? 
Eckhart's all well, bro. You run backwards. That's different! Their car runs over a baby carriage, a woman screams. Then a fruit cart, the vendor screams. A motorcyclist attacks them by clinging to the car's side mirror. It's 2016's version of a Raiders set piece. The cyclist is all, Hell, I'm not one of the terrorists. Gerard's all, Yeah? Since you do look part Korean, let's see if you pass my terrorism litmus test. Little game I have to call Fuck Me. Fuck you? No! <laughs> when will you terrorists learn to play by the rules? Just for that, he floors the gas and aims the car for a wall. The car impacts hard, hurling Gerard and the president through the front windshield, but leaving the guy hanging from the mirror unscathed. The president's all, Ugh! My spine! Gerard's all, Ugh! My spine! <laughs> Meanwhile, in a computer room, a guy in a wheelchair causes a blackout in his house. <laughs> computer room. Morgan Freeman's all. What the fuck? General's all. Sir, London is still falling. Repeat. Whatever I just said. Rinse. Meanwhile, in a helicopter with missiles being shot at it by other helicopters, Halle Berry looks over at the president and goes, Sir, I think this was a trap. Everybody stares at her. Some numbers are all 530. Gerard's all. I got this, Mr. President. He tackles the president and leaps out of the copter with him. <laughs> uh, sir, your escort for this assignment is Halle Berry? As Gerard and Eckhart plummet through space, the president's all, Nice work, cocksucker. How'd you know I always wore a parachute? Gerard's all, Oh, I was just jumping out. You got in my way. Overhead, the terrorist helicopters shoot missiles at Halle Berry's. Another copter pilot's all, Prepare for sacrifice. His co-pilot's all, Wait, what? Why don't we just shoot our missiles back at... <laughs> on her copter a lone tear runs down Halle Berry's cheek as someone slicks a bunch of garbage at her feet the pilot's all hey good news all the missiles are gone some words are all 30-30 in the White House Morgan Freeman nods gravely into a phone receiver then goes actually I want extra words on that forget what I said before and hangs up Jack Earl Haley's all Hey, I talked to the heads of the CIA and the FBI about finding out who's shooting missiles at our black ladies. They said they're not interested. Morgan Freeman's all. That's what they think. Dummies. That's it. The Pakistani character has to be using dummy corporations to fence money through his counterfeit money machines. Get me a line to the vice president. You, sir? Now. Meanwhile, in London, Gerard Kidney punches a bobby in the throat and steals his weapons. He's all, Mr. President, for security reasons, I'm taking you to a subway station. Terror should have no way to reach us there, except via subway. <laughs> President's all, oh, Cherry Cross? No? Subway. Now follow me. Not that close. Jesus. They go to the London Underground. Gerard shoots a bunch of people waiting for a train down there, then calls the terrorist leader on his cell phone. The terrorist on the phone's all. Fellows, the character of the president. <laughs> it's Arabic, I guess. You should have let us kill him slowly. Now we won't kill him at all. Gerard's all, hey, listen to this. He farts on a nearby terrorist's face. The guy sighs. Gerard picks up the phone again and goes, That was the sound of your brother being upset. I mean, the second sound was... Wait, shit, head on mute. Hang on. Ah, fuck. Now we have to wait for another fart. It shouldn't be too long. The terrorist is all, what brother? Meanwhile, in the White House, Mr. Vice President, call me Morgan. Uh, yeah. 
Hey, our uh, subway station satellites picked up this surveillance picture somehow. He shows him a picture of Gerard Butler scratching his head at an intersection of subway tunnels and staring at a Thomas guide while the president makes bunny ears behind Gerard's head with his fingers. The aides all, sir, should I hold a press conference explaining why obtaining this photo costs the taxpayers 84 mil? No way. The more I look at this photo, the more I believe that Gerard's trying to tell us something. Is he left-handed? Uh, according to his ballistics and penmanship test results, sir, he's neither handed. Thomas guy. That's it. He's heading for St. Thomas's Cathedral. Have the Navy dispatch three helicarriers and a sidecar. Uh, sir, I think St. Thomas's is in Dubai. Actually, you're right. Forget what I said before about calling Let's go with Mr. Vice President. <laughs> After all, some words are all 30. Meanwhile, checking through a subway tunnel. Gerard, if we get out of this alive, I want you to kill me. But, sir, that's an order. I won't be a propaganda tool. Just the regular kind. Yes, Mr. <laughs> President. Speaking of which, I know you have a baby on the way. Oh, uh, it's uh, my wife, actually. Gerard, let me tell you something tender. My son says dirty jokes to me every day. They mean everything to me. Always criticize, never encourage. Find something you don't care about, then find deeply. Yeah, <clears throat> I wasn't really listening. What about diapers? The president laughs wisely. He's all shit takes care of itself. Suddenly a van hits them. Guys get out and take the president hostage, then drive off again. Gerard's all fucking Pakistan. He draws his gun, unzips his pants, and starts doing squats to get ready to give chase. A British Army guy walks on screen. He's all, But, Governor, think of your own possibility. There's a hundred terrorists in that building, with their backs turned and marksmanship skills spotty. Gerard's all, Yeah, well, they should have brought a hundred and one, because that's when I give up. I call it the Gerard. Peter Sellers terrorist somehow hijacks all two TV networks to behead the president with a sword. But Gerard Butler tricks the terrorist by walking on screen in the background and shooting him. <laughs> that was an expensive looking shot. A bunch of stuff involving a fireball happens. The heroes bravely run from it, while the villains shamelessly and nefariously shut their eyes and let it consume them. <laughs> Meanwhile, Morgan Freeman calls the Durst terrorist of Pakistan goes, This is for us dropping a missile on your house at the start of the movie. Drops it up Meanwhile, the President Gerard tricked the fireball with an elevator shaft, sprawling Kimbo in a tangled embrace at the bottom of it, where the concrete broke their fall. Gerard's all, Now that's what I call a drop of the poles. They both laugh. The President's all, I got a pole you can climb on, and a ballot box you can stuff. Also, my character's name and company event is Chad. They kiss. In the TV room, Morgan and all the aides watch them make out. Jack Hurley stands up and starts doing a slow clap. <laughs> Gradually, everybody joins in. Crowds in Times Square cheer the sight of Jack Hurley wearing a general's uniform clapping on the Jumbotron. 
In Pakistan, everybody in a village cheers the TV image of burning bodies crawling away from the explosion at the terrorist base camp and the real-life background over their shoulders. On the Jumbotron, a newscast is all, It's official, Gerard Butler is the savior of the president in the city formerly known prior to its falling as London. Let's hear it for him. One moment, we're receiving another update. The president has died in the elevator shaft from internal injuries. The crowd at Times Square cheers. On the Jumbotron, Princess Leah takes the newscasters <laughs> and addresses the world population. Now, thanks to the actions of one man, unless you're Pakistani, obviously, you all know how I felt when I saved Alderaan from falling. When this keeps getting blown up by tricking Grand Moff Tarkin with my now legendary and oft imitated dance moves. Although just between us, I find that scene hard to watch, since Peter Cushing's British accent is so fake. <laughs> she makes the live long and prosper hand gesture, and girl runs off backwards Gerard style. Some words are all 31, as we dissolve to the butler home months later, as Gerard and Mrs. Gerard beam down at a baby in a crib. Gerard's all, he has my chest, so what's his name? Um, Gloria? Uh, so when's our baby due? This is ours. He goes into his office, slams the door, then opens his laptop again and stares at his resignation letter. He reads it over, then smiles. Ha! Resignation? To hell with typing. I'll just stop showing up. Triumphantly, he hits reformat C. I, I think that was my favorite uh, Princess Leia appearance in quite some time. The whole world got to see it, too. Yeah, yeah, very nice. Well, she's in the movie, so that's why I said it. I just report what I see. That's my job, Tom. I think I missed that part. Uh, what? Me reporting? Uh, Chris, Hen no, Liam, Hen no, Thor's wife is in the movie. Who? Natalie Portman? Uh, we know Charlotte Riley from In the Heart of the Sea, one of the yeah, worst lit scenes I've ever seen, <laughs> with her and... Lit, you mean lit or literature? Both, Kelly Wan. Very good. Very nice catch. Yeah. Get it, catch, like Moby Dick. Man, keep going, Kelly Wan. Don't stop. I'm just telling you what you just said. Thank you. Yeah. Where else do we know her from? <laughs> Are we really talking about the girls in... We know her from Edge of Tomorrow, by the way. Oh, right, right, right. I figured she was one of the people on the disposable team. Was that... She's the Vasquez. She's awesome. Are, are you kidding? I love her in this. Right. She's the one that they just throw away by the end of the movie. Right. <laughs> Good Lord. She's the one. She's the non-Emily Blunt one, I guess you could say. You're the non-Emily Who is she in this? And who's Blount? Oh, the MI6 chick. Jacqueline MI6. She's Jackie. Uh, oh. Uh, yeah, the MI6 chick that shows up in the middle of the movie um, that, that ends up killing the, the white bad guy. Yeah. Um, hmm. Because he won't Rebecca Ferguson. Because he won't lie down on the floor. Right, sit down on the floor. I'm gonna just. I'm not moving toward my gun. I'm just kind of moving over here. She was Kelly Wan. She was kind of a. And I don't mean this to besmirch her so much as to explain how elevated Rebecca Ferguson was. She was kind of a cut rate uh, Rebecca Ferguson. I thought. Mm -hmm. Character wise, yeah, but she was great in this. She was a yeah. great character. I mean, not just a great character. I thought she was a great actress in this. I loved her. Uh, she was great in this. What about the rest of the movie, Dingus? I love this movie. I I'm sorry. I know I'm going to get lambasted. Obviously, since it's 25% or 28%. I, I freaking love this movie. I'm sorry. 
Hmm. Dingus indulging in a little jingoism, I guess. I, I love this movie. I, 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 I was so charged after seeing it. I can't believe it. I <laughs> right, cannot well, believe it. I went there yeah. thinking this is going to be a, a total pile of crap. And um, and I was just... God, I could not have been more pleased. I could not have been more surprised. I was totally surprised by this movie. Tell me, Wanda, are you taking exception with characterizing this movie as jingoistic? Uh, no. Or with Dingus liking it? But I don't think that's why Dingus liked it, necessarily. He just got excited because it was fast-paced. Well, I would say short. It, it is an indispensable part of it. Uh, yeah. What, yeah. the jingoism? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't really... I don't. I didn't oh, evaluate please. it on this. Oh, please, come on. I don't disagree with you. I'm just saying I don't I expect it from what the movie is. It's that kind of a movie. It's supposed to be a jingoistic... I don't. Well, the first one wasn't necessarily. I mean, the first. Here's the thing, Tom. Yeah, Here's yeah. the difference to me. Is the first one does have a weird jingoistic bent, but I don't know quite what you're saying. I hope you get to that. But go ahead, Kelly. Well, just like, and maybe this isn't what Tom's talking about, but to me, my favorite thing about the movie, I decided as I was watching it, I couldn't remember the first movie well enough to know if this was true of that one too. But like, the, it's really interesting to me that the Gerard character is really bloodthirsty. Like, he enjoys killing and was, like, hitting people. Well, no. Because it is so R-rated. And I I didn't realize that, by the way, until the the second F-bomb was dropped. I was like, wait a minute. Because I'm so conditioned, by the way, to hearing one F-bomb in a PG-13 Right, right, right. And so even before I sort of realized the extent of the violence, they dropped their F-bomb. And I remember thinking, well, they they used that awfully quickly. Okay. Because I just was watching this assuming it was PG-13. So when the second one rolled out... I was like, wait a minute, can they do that? And then a third one, and then the headshots were happening, and and I was like, oh, we're watching an R-rated action movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. throughout be- became very evident, and one of the things I loved about it is that yeah. this was this, is, this isn't a kid's movie. This isn't made for... No. It's not. Yeah, think... It's definitely not, like, scrubbed for children, and I really respect that in an action movie these days. Yeah, and I thought a lot of it was just his character. Like, he doesn't seem to really give a shit. I don't know, but well, yeah. I mean, no, he gives a shit. He gives too much of a shit. I mean, he's a special forces dude, and he's he knows exactly what he has to do, and that's his job. I mean, he's <laughs> he's shooting people in the head. Yeah. If, they, if they're in the Dingus. way, he's going to tap them in the head, and that's what happens in the first movie too, which is not anywhere near as good as this movie. But when mm-hmm. that when that motorcycle guy like lands inside their vehicle and he just shoots him in the head, it's just. It's like I I have to get rid of this guy. I have to get rid of that guy. Well, not just get rid of him. Thing. It's like dispatching him with a with a hearty fuck you. Like the the, yeah. the guy, I mean yeah. they, they they exchange f bombs with each other, which is great. And, and well, I'm talking the about the, the first guy who he stops short on that comes in the back window. Oh right right right. There's and a guy the second guy who comes in the just dr- like shoots him in the head and like drops him out, and that happens constantly. Yeah, but then the guy who he actually interacts with who puts right. his head through the side window. Yeah, which um. Right, and that's that's. There's a couple of callbacks like that to the first movie. Now, Dingus, you didn't see this as jingoistic, and and do you like do I do you sort of know what I'm getting well, at when I say that? Or no, that, I, no, you go ahead and, uh, and describe it because there's that this whole weird thing that happens um, with uh, Dermot Mulroney's character, uh, Dylan McDermott. Sorry, in the first one, right? Yeah, in the first one where he just he he betrays them and he's like globalization and blah blah blah. Uh-huh. Forgot about all that. And then there's the whole nuclear, like we're going to destroy our, all of our nuclear arsenal, and it's like nonstop. So, it's so, so go ahead and describe what you mean by jingoistic, as far as this movie is concerned. Well, I, again, I think it's an indispensable part of this movie, and certainly part of its appeal. Even um, it's like a Chuck Norris movie. 
Uh, it's like a – yeah, I mean, I guess Chuck Norris movies were like that. I, I, that yeah. sort of stuff was probably lost on me when I was a kid watching those movies. Um, it wasn't to me, but I just sort of assumed it as part of the brand. Exactly, so I, right, right. Hmm. What do you What do you mean when you say it's jingoistic? I mean, because, like, we've talked about that in times past. Terrorists are all idiots, and they can't shoot. Like, the good Americans shoot smarter. Well, no, I, I disagree. I think this movie has an even hand as far as that's concerned, as far as – the causes of this movie and where it deals with that. So I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say about jingoism. Well, like I said, I think it's an indispensable part of it, and it's it's established early on. And it it, I mean, just the very premise is jingoistic. Now, so jingoism can be America. That, that can mean. Go ahead. Sorry. Did you want well, to... just the like the fact that London has fallen, but they need an American to bail them out of it. Like, that's kind of jingoistic. Well, I want to hear specifically what Tom means when he says jingoistic. So jingoism can mean many different things, and it can be an insult. It can be descriptive. And I don't mean it as an insult because I can enjoy jingoism as much as the next guy. And I would say what it is is an exacerbated sense of of patriotism, almost to the level of being ridiculous. Uh, Patriotism can be a a good word, a dirty word, whatever. But jingoism, I think, clearly refers to exaggerated patriotism, often – a, a, a celebration of, of violence, of military prowess, um, and I don't think jingoism needs to be an insult. It can be an insult when you talk about a movie like American Sniper, which I think is okay, facile okay. jingoism. I think that movie's horrible. It's it's basically it's based on the memoirs of. Well, I don't even want to get into the politics of that, but jingoism doesn't have to be a bad thing. And I think clearly this movie is about how the world is. Is weak and effete, and it takes America to save it. Right. Uh, and, okay. and, and early on, it is it is almost to the level of, of not satire because I don't think it, it, it. The movie. One of the great things about the movie is it doesn't take itself too seriously, but it's also not like winking and, and nudging us and elbowing us. Uh, uh, yeah. So so early on, it introduces the, this very very thinly veiled look at contemporary world leaders. I mean that's obviously Angela right. Merkel. Uh, and it basically introduces them just so it can kill them. Um, and it reduces every one of them to a cliche. Yeah, it's basically saying, you know, suck at Italy, suck at Japan, you know, totally suck at France, even <laughs> you suck at Canada. It kills them all. They're all helpless. They're all caught flat-footed by terrorism. But it's only because the American had the foresight to delay the, the president scheduled by five minutes. Like it was the American who knew to do that and who knew how dangerous this was. And then he runs around London and saves the whole city. I mean, this is basically like like the terrorism version of World War Two. You know, because constantly you have idiots saying, <laughs> oh, we saved Russia, we saved England, we saved Europe in World War Two. It wasn't quite like that. Um, but this is the terrorism version of that. Terrorism has and we, we got there late too. That's when yeah, well, there you yeah. go. Eventually, we showed up. Right. Uh, right, intentionally. Right, we intentionally waited and showed up after the Holocaust and waited. <laughs> but also, too, Tom, the way the um, the way the president's portrayed, like it's like a corporate, like it's like a studio notes version. Like he's dignified, but like not doesn't want to make any doesn't need to make any hard calls. But he's like his character in both movies just consists of like a willingness to sacrifice himself, and that's all he ever does. Like he he never really shoots anyone. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely a fantasy like, Well, he does shoot yeah, someone in this one, which yeah, I kind of like. I, I like that. Yeah, that's true. He comes out of the closet to do that. Yeah, so, yeah. wait, Tom, did you like this movie? Yeah, oh, good lord, yeah. I'm pretty sure we all did, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, okay, it's, 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 sorry, it's, it's, I liked it on the first one. I'm the only one I thought I thought who really came out. I wasn't sure. Why did I mean? I was pretty sure you guys were going to like this. Did you really? I mean, it, it's irresistible. It's just so well. There's so much. Yeah, it's so it's, well paced. Yeah, the pacing and the craft of it. I mean, there's some really good craft in this, and it's some so really good too. and some good CG, and and just so it, and like I said, it doesn't take itself too seriously or too lightly. It's R-rated. Gerard Butler's kind of irresistible. It's um, funny. Yeah, yeah. It's funny without being glib. I mean, that's one of the things I love about it. I mean, and, and it, it, it gets, it nails the relationship between these two guys, which was set up in, in the first movie, I think. Um, but it gets it better here. And this director understands how to balance that, uh, that weird, uh, um, humor that, that these two heroes can have together by still making the stakes super high. I love yeah. that about this movie. I absolutely I think- love this. My only complaint, or my biggest complaint about the movie, is my same one with the first one, which was where they didn't really use the architecture of the White House very interestingly. It's like they didn't really use London very interestingly either. Like the monuments get blown up. But I mean, what else are you gonna do? I mean, I get what you're saying, Kelly Wan. This could have been pretty much any, any European city. Paris could have fallen just as easily. Right, right. As right. long as you have CG of the Eiffel Tower falling over. There, you're done with it, Paris. Now just make a movie. Um, I just so, thought I, that was so bold that I totally forgave it. I, I love like the, the bridge falling, the, the cathedral being blown up. I, I love how bold it was that taking out all these world, world leaders. It was very much like one of an early Tom Clancy novels, like this Red Storm Rising, where all ah, these right. things are converging, Good and call, it yeah. feels it feels like all this tension is building. All these different things are converging, even when it's that world leader thing that you brought up earlier, Tom. Um, I was I was kind of fine with that because I got where they were going with it. And I, and it it made the tension build up so well, and I just thought it was so bold. Well, and rather than using that as the finale, because so I'll make a confession, I don't normally watch trailers. If I see a trailer start and I and I and I know what a movie is going to be, I, I usually close my eyes and ears because I realize, oh, I'm going to want to see that in the theater. I don't want to watch the trailer. When the trailer for this first came on, I was like, there's no way I'm going to see a stupid sequel. <laughs> to white to to Olympus's fall, and that movie was was uh, was forgettable, whatever. So I watched the trailer for this, and the trailer, and this drives me crazy. The trailer for this movie shows every single, without exception, effects sequence, uh-huh. um, and I hate that. Now I didn't remember this specifically from when I saw the trailer, but from when I saw the trailer, I, it's very clear. Yeah, they're going to blow up parts of London. So I love in the movie that's not. Like their big reveal or their big fireworks show at the end. That's like you say, Dingus. That's establishing the stakes. Like early on, let's blow everything up just to show you like how dangerous this is and and what we're willing to to do, and then we'll turn the action heroes loose in 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 and have all the gun battles and stuff. Uh, so so I love that all that stuff. Get rid of that first. And, and you're right, Dingus. That is very Tom Clancy esque, isn't it? Yeah. Um, he got a little self-parody at the end where this uh, all these different threads coming together was just so hard to follow. But early on when he was writing, these different threads coming together really, really made the tension work super well. And I love the way it works here. And so, yeah, totally. you know, when I said earlier I was going to make a, sla- a thing about Slash as far oh, right. as... A Die Hard. It wasn't a joke. It was it was me thinking that this felt more like Die Hard slash Escape from New York because of him having to bring a president out of a city that seems like it's basically deserted. Right. Except for except for people who are out to kill him. 
and this president isn't isn't some Donald Pleasant's uh, useless fellow. He's gonna also he's got his back. Like they, they've got each other's backs. Yeah. Um, right, but he's a little beneath him. I mean, he's he's you know that that earlier like running scene and I don't know if you guys remember at the beginning of Olympus Has Fallen. They're they're sparring. They're doing a, a boxing match at the beginning. Um, they're they're just they're sparring. So these guys have have had this like physical sort of uh, one-upsmanship, but also I'm I'm going to get you into shape, Mr. President, kind of thing going on. So when they're running, the president says, "Yeah, I, I've got one more mile in me." And when he says, "I hope those are com- those are comfortable shoes, Mr. President," um, I, I think there is there's a thing of he's not quite capable enough to kill everybody around him. I mean, he's not like uh, Bruce Willis becoming president. Um, he's he's not quite as effectual as that, but he can step up when he needs to because Mike is so capable of bringing him along. And it, that's what I love about their relationship. It reminded me a bit of so, – so my under for this, uh, my, my over and under, a movie I liked slightly more and slightly less if I were to bracket it carefully. Uh, the, the category would be uh, pleasantly surprising sequels that, that aren't necessarily good movies but that I really enjoyed. Uh and my under for this would be Lethal Weapon 2, which I feel is better than Lethal Weapon 1. And Dingus, I'm 79% serious about this. I'm not just trolling you. We, we discussed this last week. Uh, but it has that same uh, like sweet and sour, salt and pepper kind of yin-yang lead character, like the, the, the rookie cop, veteran cop conceit is these two lead characters uh, and their, their exchanges, their interplay, their differences driving the movie and being a big part of what we're enjoying. Um, so I actually, and I quite like Lethal Weapon 2, I enjoyed this slightly more than Lethal Weapon 2, and there is some of what you're, and, and part of it is because of what you're talking about, Dingus, with the difference between the two characters. Yeah. My, my under uh, would be Die Hard 2, actually, uh, but not for a different reason. It's it's the, the guy charging into a situation that you don't expect that's going to take care of everything, and nobody expects that he's going to be able to take care of everything. Now, that's Slightly more apropos for Olympus Has Fallen because he's this secret uh, service guy who's been sent over to Treasury and working a desk job, and he happens to come into the White House and be able to take care of everything. But still, he's this wild card who takes care of things in this second movie, and uh, I would put Die Hard 2 just under that. Mm-hmm. Now, Davis, did you see uh, – wh- let me get it straight – White House da- – no, yeah, White House Down? I never did, no. Okay. I mean, I don't think it's worth seeing, but one of the things that this movie avoids, and that I think even the first movie, Olympus Has Fallen, avoids, White House Down has this amazingly ridiculous, absurd, delightful payoff at the end, which I, where you kind of can't take it seriously, like where it loses a lot of credibility, and you're like, oh, I've been watching this kind of movie. And what happens is Channing Tatum's daughter – she loves politics. She totally loves like going to the White House and going to Capitol Hill and reading about the Washington Monument. Like that's her character trait. Her second character trait is that she's really good at baton twirling, <laughs> and she's going to be like in, in the baton twirling competition or something. These are her two char- character traits. The first trait explains why she's in the White House with her dad when bad stuff goes down. But then what happens is at some point. And I don't remember a lot of the specifics, but at some point, these these jets are going to fly in and do an airstrike against the White House. I think they believe that the, the president's dead or that, that there's no more good guys left in there. Uh, so they're just going to go ahead and, and lose the White House and destroy it. It's a terrible decision, 
but they make it and they're going to go with it. So in order to stop it, because for whatever reason, Channing Tatum and Jamie Foxx need to stop this from happening, I think maybe because they're in there, they need to call off these jets, but they don't have any way to communicate with them. So the daughter is like, oh, I know. She runs out onto the lawn of the White House, picks up two flags, and baton twirls them around so that the pilots coming in to do the airstrike can see her and realize the airstrike has been called off. So her baton twirling skills saves the president and the White House and her dad. And that is such an absurd, ridiculous, and it's played completely straight, by the way, earnest scene that it – I mean that right there is is the movie in a nutshell. Is you're you're, you're watching a movie that's going to end up with that resolution, uh, and I love like this. This didn't get too absurd. It didn't play it too straight. Uh, this carefully balanced a line between taking itself seriously and, and being a joke, uh, and it and it didn't have any baton twirlers calling off airstrikes. Um, can uh, okay. So uh, let me just say this: uh, Chris Markinson wants to know what you think of the car chase. If it fulfills your, um, oh, your right. criteria for a good car chase. Right, so a good car chase needs three C's, characters. You have to care about the people driving. Choreography, cool stuff needs to happen in the course of the drive, of course. Uh, and context, it needs to matter and it needs to be clear why the bad guys are after the good guys and where the good guys are going. Uh, and it wouldn't be like a top ten car chase by any means, but absolutely, I think it, it fit all of those. You care about the characters at that point. Really, really good choreography with the motorcycles, uh, and clearly they just need to get out of Dodge. It's, if they can get to the helicopters, everything's fine. Um, so yeah, that's a good question, and I, I feel it did uh, meet all the requirements. Well, I love those moments where uh, where my where uh, Gerard Butler like uh, you know hangs out the door. Yeah, to shoot a couple of times. Yeah. I mean, there the, the I think the choreography is excellent in that, and um, and I totally agree with you with the way that. It is. I mean, the way that that you use the word choreography is great because they are in this weird dance with all these motorcycles, um, and and I love the way that that plays out. How did you guys feel about that later one take uh, gunfight down the street to the construction site? Um, oh, go ahead, Kelly. One. It was all right. I mean, it seemed like the least locational setting of all of them hmm. like it was just sort of a a gunfight down the street to the construction area is that the okay. right term yeah yeah the one where uh he's got the but it's all that one shot the SA, are they the, sas whatever those, those british soldiers yeah and they do it like one take obviously you can see where they cheat the take with smoke or whatever um but yeah it's all played as one shot down the street dingus did that stand out for you did you feel it was gratuitous did you enjoy it Oh, I loved it, um, mainly because uh, it, uh, it kind of felt there, there's a transition there, um, and you'll forgive me for saying this because I obviously don't know video games as well as you guys do, but it, it felt like there was a video game element to that going from there, and, and there's 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 something from the very beginning of Olympus Has Fallen where um, where Mike sits down with Connor and says, and now here's where the real bloodbath is going to be when your mom sees you're playing this particular video game. <laughs> um, and that line, there's there's something about bloodbath in this movie as well. I think they kind of were playing around with that. But that, that 
go that going down the street and the way he does it, the way he goes around the corners, the way they toss grenades, and then when he goes into the building and it becomes then like a, a, a stealth video game, almost like a Silent Snake. Yeah, would that be the thing that you would say? Um, I liked that it felt like two different levels, and I thought it was really well filmed, and I loved that immediate relationship he had with that main um, SAS, whatever, whoever that special forces guy was. Yeah. I loved that. I loved the way that they worked together. I really, I really, really liked that. See, I think that's exactly what I'm getting at is I feel this, this is the the kind of stuff you see when you have, and I don't know how young or old the director is. I don't know what his influences are. He's, he's fairly, he's, he's new to all of us. Uh, This I think is, is, is this cross-pollination between video games and movie making. For so long, yeah. video games were informed by, by Hollywood action, yes. and now I think we're seeing a little bit of a, yeah. reverse, a reverse flow there, because that is clearly a Call of Duty level. You know, there's one guy fighting down the street, there's a hundred bad guys, you go through the window, and you have to go this course, yeah. Yeah. you have to decide when to peek out and shoot. Oh no, a boss has pulled up, you know, the, the van opens, and there's the minigun, uh, you do the little end run over the scaffolding, and you make the jump, and just like you said, Dingus, and now you're in a stealth level. Um, and I love, by the way, Kelly Wan, that Dingus thinks a Metal Gear Solid game is is about Silent Snake. Sorry, <laughs> Again, got, I apologize so, when I do that. You got you got we you got most of the word right, Dingus, because that's the stealth one. Right, right, Silent Snake. <laughs> <laughs> Dingus, there's all these ridiculous like Liquid Snake and Solid Snake and. Uh, there's boss. So there's a bunch Cats, of snakes. snakes. There might be a silent snake. So Dingus, you might actually be more Sorry. correct than me. I, I meant to reference thief instead. <laughs> oh my god! Did it just happen? <laughs> uh, I was bummed that I was so glad uh, that Melissa Leo was back, and they after after literally sustaining a beating in the first one, yeah. I was really god. disappointed they didn't do much with her in this. She didn't beat her in this. She gets pounded in that movie. It's just, I mean, it's, it's very a, uncomfortable. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. and it, it's, you know, and I, I, I love Melissa Leo, and maybe that's why it was uncomfortable. But so I was. That was jingoism, though, because she's I, she know. gets saved in the first. Well, she stands up to. She basically stands up to torture. Is wasn't that the point of that right. scene? Is that they're trying to get information With, from her? And she doesn't give it out. Yeah, and the president the finally lets her off the hook. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Exactly. But then they it's they march her out because because Gerard Butler is, has cut off all the video stuff. They march her out front because they're going to kill her in front of everybody since they can't broadcast it over the internet anymore. And that and, and this is basically Gerard Butler drawing them out into open to try to kill a Kang. And she gets to walk out the front of the White House. It's weird how they keep trying that same thing in both movies. Like, we're going to videotape this. Well, one of the weird things, and this is something that Chris Markinson also brings up, is Robert Forster. um, Oh, yeah, right. I thought he would be totally canned after the last movie, because in the last movie, he fucked up royally. (laughs) But now we're attached to his character, because he fucked up. But he gets to just stay on the Joint Chiefs of Staff, I guess. Well, I completely forgot he was in this as well, because also I, I like seeing his name in the credits, and I, I I can think of one scene where he had a line. I mean, I don't, <laughs> he was basically, that's, yeah. That's what I liked about this movie, is it just didn't give a shit about that stuff. It's like, yeah, he's back. But I, I, as, I <laughs> Right, but I would have appreciated a little more fan service. Uh, nah, I don't, I don't understand why he's back, because he... he 
he really yeah, I mean, he fucked up in the first movie. <laughs> when I, I like Dingus, I don't I don't remember. I don't either, but Dingus represents this movie so well. It's because I just well, I watched it again this week because I I got super excited watching this movie. So I watched Olympus Falling In. Um, it's well, it's not the movie. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's Antoine Foucault. It's not the movie. This is. It doesn't have the craft. Um, is it? What'd you say? Is it trying too hard? Like, is it trying to be like? I just think it's trite. Uh, I mean, I, I like the fact that they get the kid out early. Um, Connor? Yeah, Connor, thanks. Uh, Dingus, is it rated R? Yeah. Okay. It is? Yeah, there's there's a bunch of, like, blood splashing against walls in that movie. I mean, it's Didn't so you guys tell me when he, when he kills someone with a statue head, with a bust, everyone yeah, yeah. in your office is like, yeah! <laughs> I don't remember that, but you is might... Is that a story you said? Because I saw it Canada... So they, yeah, well, they probably didn't understand it. Oh, Chris is yeah. also, Chris was also super sad that the Canadian prime minister died. Well, Chris, yeah. you're in the wrong part of the world. Chris, this is a movie for Americans. Yeah, I love when people say that by the way and don't realize that Canada is and Mexico, by the way, are America. Yeah. <laughs> All America, Chris, join us. We don't like to say it. Um. Uh. So, Dingus, what did Robert Forrester do in the in the first movie that he should be drummed out of the chiefs of staff? Yeah, well, All right. So, uh. Gerard Butler is very clearly saying, give me a little bit of time, don't send in anybody. <laughs> and so he sends in six SEAL Team helicopters. And Oh, yeah, and they all get shot down by the magic uh, like guns that the terrorists have. He's right? the Paul remember, Gleason. Do you remember what that uh, gun was called? Vulcan? The German. It's called the Hydra. <laughs> Good Lord. What? He tells them, they've got the Hydra. How did they get that? I don't know. They've got the Hydra, and they put it on a White House elevator. They put the Hydra up on the roof, and uh, and Robert Forster's like, "Yeah, we can take care of that." I do remember that. Yeah. And then five an of the five of the six Navy SEAL helicopters get blown out of the sky, and and Gerard Butler's like, "Really? I, you know, I hate to be insubordinate, but you know, fuck you." This series is not kind to helicopters. No. No. Oh, no. But, Oh my! Oh my gosh! You know, I I disagree with you a little bit on the CG in this time. I think a lot of the explosions look terrible in this movie. Oh, I loved the boat explosion, but I, I was happy uh, with explosions. But I especially liked the French guy getting blown up on the water with the barge. Uh, so, Dingus, so you weren't you weren't yeah. crazy about the CG? No, especially on the landing cra- on the on the crashing explosions. But but the three helicopters flying over when they're about to land, when when Marine One is coming down to land before all ever, all hell breaks loose, just that looked beautiful. I mean, th- so many of those. I mean, this guy did so much with with I think probably a smaller budget than we would imagine. Um, but those those three helicopters flying over, and even that that sequence where they're flying around and getting shot at. Um, I really loved that. I loved the way the helicopters worked in this movie. Dingus, we don't know the director from anything, do we? And give us his name again. Uh, jeez. Scroll up to your uh, notes, because I, I wouldn't be able to remember it either. I think he was Iranian. As a matter of fact, I did look it up. He's, he's Iranian. His name is, is uh, Babak Najafi. Um, and there's a movie I tried to I tried to find um, that he did, because he did it with um, the guy from Robocop. Um, Kinnaman, what's his name? Joel Kinnaman, right? Yeah, uh, up all night or something? No, no, no. It's called something like that. Is it Joel it, Kinnaman? It is. It's Easy Joel, Money Two. Easy Money Two. Thank you. Yeah, it's Easy Money Two, but it has another title, and I couldn't find it anywhere. But I really that's a sequel to the Danger Field because I like Joel Kinnaman so much, um, and I wanted to watch that before I saw this. But this guy clearly knows what he's doing. Kelly Wan, that it would be called Ladybugs Two if it was a sequel to the Danger Field movie. <laughs> 
I guess I got to go back to school to keep up with you, Tom. Kelly Wand, I don't get no respect. Oh wow. I'm sorry. I had uh, <laughs> Kelly Wand, you win. Did this somebody sit on a duck? Uh, Chris has another question, real quick. Um, how do you guys feel about the meanness of the kills? It's our rating. Killing, killing yeah. is a nice thing to do. So yeah, it's an indispensable part. Well, he says that specifically to Tom because um, uh, Tom felt bad about the way a certain villain met her end in dread. Right, exactly. <laughs> There's no need to be a dick about it, Judge Dredd, when you kill the main villain. No, yeah, we have to put it that way because she so, has a bomb in her. So it was, it was so how do you odd. feel about that? Was that necessary? No. When when Morgan Freeman basically gloats and uh, before the drone comes down on the, the main bad guy at the end. Uh, that, I'm like, there's no need to be a dick. Uh, so, but Gerard Butler, like, having his little FU exchange with the motorcycle driver with his head through the window, I love those kinds of things. Like, when it's yeah. up close and personal, sure, go ahead and be a jerk. Um, but when it's, you, you know, if you're the vice president, don't be a jerk. As for the dread thing, <laughs> it's just that I, I like Lena Headey so much. I'm like, don't right. be nicer to her, please. So the, Carl, Carl and you're no Lena Headey. So what? when he's... Jamming the knife into Cameron's brother or whatever, and, and the president says, was that really necessary? No. I mean, does that bother you? I love that. No, that was great. It was, it was, it was, it's it was, character. It, yeah, and it was basically, uh, like gallows humor. And I, right. I, I appreciate that kind of thing in an R rated yeah. action movie. Yeah. And it was kind of one of the best lines. I thought, like, that one kind of stood out for me, but mostly I was, I thought Gerard's dialogue wasn't that good. Like, I, it, like, I decided to just appreciate it as a dumb, action movie well yeah yeah i mean it definitely wasn't great character development or there but was, i wanted to do a polish pass it, just, it was no bone tomahawk <laughs> or anything you could yeah. you would have a hard time it, it would be a very short three by three to do your favorite lines from uh london has fallen you know there'd, there'd be maybe five or six but he does do it with the motorcycle guy he does do a fuck you joke callback kind of like oh. i did the opposite like to the like that's his signature move is a fuck you so right. if someone says fuck you to him which seems to happen a lot <laughs> I think reason. he's he's so much. I think that it it's just so much more fluid in this. I mean, and another one of those things is, is what if what if what if you don't come back, you're fucked. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, because that's not that's not great dialogue. There's nothing particularly clever uh, about it. It's just quick and short and to the right, point. Terse. Right, right. Yeah, you're right. Don't, yeah. don't have time for for theatrics or wit here. Kevin, right. what's, what's your under? What's a movie right. that you didn't like quite as much as London Has Fallen? Uh, Die Hard 5. Wow, both of you guys picking some diehards. Uh, I don't think there have been five diehards, though. There's only four. The Russian one is five. Is there really a, oh, no, no, the one we saw. No, right. the yeah. Die Hard. I wanted to murder that movie. The Lynn Weissman. Yeah. Wasn't that Lynn Weissman? Yeah, yeah. Because it's another movie where an American goes to a foreign city. and his Oh, books. no, the horrible one. I put that one yeah. out of my head. The uh, Jai Cor- Cor- uh Wait, wait. Jai yeah. Courtney. Where he calls Jai. him McLean, even though he's his son. Jai Courtney, yeah. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. with that horrible car chase where he's driving that huge thing. Oh, my on top God, of all yeah. The cars. Where they go to Chernobyl and then they how, they put they use a special hose. <laughs> like, okay, you're not irradiated anymore. <laughs> We've invented something. Kelly Wan, you, you just refuse to understand the concept of the over under being a bracketing thing. You're just randomly yeah. picking a movie that's way worse, and you're probably going to pick one that's way better if you're over, right? Yeah. But, it has, but it's fucking. <laughs> Kevin, you just think of a category and you're like, oh, what's two other movies in that category? Okay, which one do I like better? Okay, that's the over. Which one do I like less? Okay, that's the under. All right, then my over. <laughs> yes, Kevin. Uh, Go on. Is Never Too Young to Die, 
an 80s movie with John Stamos as a secret agent named Lance Stargrove. And he's fighting Gene Simmons, who's a hermaphrodite terrorist. And George Lazenby is his spy father who gets killed off early and is like avenging him. And this yeah. movie is better than London has It made me laugh more. It, it was funnier. It's no Runaway. Yeah, it is kind of like Runaway, actually. Yeah. Needs more Selleck. Yeah. All Gene Simmons movies are strangely <laughs> similar. Is John Stamos <laughs> is the lead? John Stamos. <laughs> first time I ever saw him, yeah. I discovered yeah. John Stamos and never tamed it eye. Needs more Selleck sounds like a, a rating. <laughs> Uh, my over, which again, mine was sequels to movies that are better than the original movie, and it might be an awful movie, but I sure did like it. Uh, my over is Hitman, the last Hitman movie, Agent Forty Seven. <laughs> oh, okay, that's great. Well, because that that movie, unlike this one, th- this one is great. It's jingoistic. It's big. It's brash. It's well paced. That movie had something that that few action movies had in that. It was super sexy and sleek. Yeah. Um, it the really dialogue did. was better, too. That one what? The dialogue was a little better, too. Yeah, and it had, it, it had intriguing characters. They weren't just simple guys saying, F you, to terrorists. And, and I'm fine with that in this. And it had an interesting MacGuffin, because it had a girl who was, who was a super hitman. Like, she was the... Like, it was a little Looper-esque, where the target winds up being the cause of stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool. And here, you know, I love that they bring out Charlotte Riley's character, but it did seem... Uh, like she wasn't really incorporated in the action as well as I think she could have been. Um, it's like, hey, we're also going to throw a badass chick into this, and I'm fine mm-hmm. with that. I really enjoyed yeah. her, but it didn't use her in any meaningful way, like Rebecca Ferguson in in the last Mission Impossible. Um, so my over would be Agent Forty Seven. Mm-hmm. My under would be Lethal Weapon Two. Dingus, you're under also a die uh, die hard die hard two. Die What's hard. the movie that you liked better than London Has Fallen? All right, this is another. Uh, again, my bracketing deals with uh, dudes who aren't expected to charge in, uh, charge in, and, and uh, rescue somebody. This one also happened in London. This is Patriot Games. What? Uh, oh, that's almost my over. That's wow! Look at you guys. Yeah, I love great. the opening sequence of Patriot Games, where yeah. where Harrison Ford is visiting London with his family. And uh, that convoy sequence is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Dingus, is that the Sean Bean one? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't start it's this. awesome. You I'm killed my baby brother. Yeah. Wait, Kelly Wan, you just said that's also your over. It's not. You just told us it's not too young to die. No, I know, but I was that was what it was going to be till you mocked me and <laughs> going to statements <laughs> to prove a point that I proved. But I I had Patriot Games written like it's it's written on my notes like Patriot Games is my over. So the thing is, you mentioned Patriot Games. I'm oh, sorry, do you have more to say about that? No, no, because that's the best one of those. So uh, you mentioned Patriot Games, and I want both of you. I I if I'd had more time, I would have wanted to go back and see this. I love this idea of a president who can kick some ass, who's not afraid of uh, uh, of a little gunplay, um, who's tough, who will shoot a dude, and it made me want to go back and see Air Force One and yeah. what. What the, yeah. Like this is the fantasy yeah. of, you know, what if we had a badass president? And I think that's Johnson. Air, Air, well, we haven't seen that yet. We will, by the way. The world is not uh, quite ready for that. But this was a fantasy. Like, what if Harrison Ford was our president and got in an action movie? Um, <laughs> how well does that hold up? Like, is do you guys remember? Do you do you remember much about Air Force One? Uh, I just like remember zero. how. No, it's uh, crazy. Gary. Um, Gary Oldman was the Gary Oldman Wolfgang founder. Peterson. Yeah. Who's not a great actor? Well, and he 
Superman. And he kicks That's Gary right. Oldman like out of the the plane with that you know get off my plane like that. Yeah. He's got that tagline where he kills Gary Oldman's character, I guess. Um, but I, I like that. How well actually. it holds up, I have no idea. But I haven't seen it in forever. Well, I, didn't, I didn't even consider that. That's a, kind of a good call, Tom. Yeah, I wanted to see it again. Uh, didn't get around to it. It's weird that they never went back to that mine. Like, there's never been a kick-ass president since Air Force One. Like, you thought there would be like a slew of imitators. Well, there's Dave. <laughs> uh, well, there are there are fantasies about what if we had. I mean, Martin Sheen is basically a, a, it's basically like a a, a liberal. Clinton. Like, it's basically, oh, remember how awesome Clinton was, right? Like, Dingus knows West Wing better than I do, but we're more than happy to fantasize about our presidents, I think. Uh, yeah, but, like, shooting terrorists, like, we'll just get – like, that's what Donald Trump thinks he's going to be. Well, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that, Kelly. So how do you guys yeah, feel yeah. in the current political climate? How do you feel about a – and again, I'm not using jingoistic as necessarily an insult. Let's just say kind of a rah-rah America kicks ass movie. How do you feel about that in the current political climate? Does, does, I, I like it because it is it's it's a, it like if other countries see this I think they'll laugh affectionately and go that's so them that's so America <laughs> really yes. oh, oh I like dismissively like oh aren't they aren't they precious? oh look at our little brother yeah okay but also too I mean I think movies should exist uh, outside of time like you can't it shouldn't be like you shouldn't postpone nine eleven movies. Just because of 911, because there'll always be a reason to not release it. What? Kelly Wand is basically saying, yeah, we should show movies about gun violence right after Columbine. Right. Should be able that. to have uh, Spider-Man throwing a helicopter into the World Trade Center after 9/11. Kelly Wand yes. is saying movie theaters, movie studios, and distributors should not be the least bit sensitive to the political climate. Well, I'm saying I get why they. It's exactly are. what you're saying. Yeah. Right. Right. But, you're saying, but I'm should, saying it's – yeah, I'm saying for me, I go there and I don't I, – I just sort of divorce myself which, from that. Which, Kelly Wand, is why you don't run a movie studio because I'm sure otherwise you would probably be in charge of one. Uh, and it's a subjective thing though, isn't it? I mean it's because like when they tried to do it, people shouted too soon at the screens, but I wasn't one of them. Do you, do you feel though that there's anything here that, that – is there anything in this movie where you're like, yes, I'm glad nobody – raised objections or nobody should have objections how, how does that fit into uh, london has fallen and any political relevance it, i'm curious what the british think of it um like I'd, i wish i kind of would have liked to have seen it with a british audience to be fair though it does let like by having the sas guys come in like it does it's a team it, effort it does kind of want to play as a team effort and it does yeah. certainly the 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 like the MI six is it MI six or five? I always get it confused. The, the, you know what? They should have different, complete different letters. Like we yeah. have the CIA and the FBI. Both it's are in it. Uh, like Jackie is MI six. So MI five because one's is their CIA, one is their FBI. I forget which it is. But their their main traitor guy, I guess he's MI six, which is foreign intelligence. Yeah. I don't. Know. Um, but but there are like yeah like. Dingus mentioned Jackie. There's the SAS guy and their troop. Uh, there's the black guy who's the head of Scotland Yard. Right. It's not completely dismissive of 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 England's uh, capability of their their ability uh, to deal with this thing. I mean, they're really oh, just. By the way, I love this. I love yeah. this. Their air raid scene. Like it's sort of like, hey, we've got yeah. that in place. Everybody yeah. knows what that is. Like that Kelly Wand, distinctly English. That's distinct yeah, yeah. to London. Right. Getting that was actually a little bit chilling to me when it, yeah. when when the air raid goes off uh, and and the angle of the camera going 
on the on the on the bank of the river, and you see the two care uh, the two characters running up the street in the distance, uh, and the care and the streets are completely uh, deserted. Um, that was a little chilling to me, actually. Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah. Something though I didn't like about the movie is the uh, th- like with the buildings blow up, and then after that, everyone's basically off the streets. Like there's no oh we got to save civilians. Like it becomes like Dark Knight Rises, where suddenly the city's just empty mysteriously because it doesn't. I, I would think you show will, atrocities. They make clear though that hundreds of people die, and there's no right. bones about. No, that. no, I know. I'm just saying. They just get chase. that out of the way early on. They're like, okay, we're going to kill the hundreds of people. It's like blowing up landmarks. We're going to do that early right. on to establish stakes, and then we're just going to have an action scene with our, our main heroes and villains. Right. Well, Chris, Chris agrees with you, Kelly. I mean, Chris says that yeah. you, you made a joke about this, how, how there's chases going on, and there's like people in the background no kind there. of like not, you know, not paying attention. Right. It's just Gerard again. Right, but, but I think that that scene with the. Uh, Exploding buildings? No, the, the 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 gunfight down the street, for instance. Yeah. Um, that would have played completely different if there had been civilians around. Like if it right, had right. been on a conveniently abandoned street. And I would have liked we, that more. We would have, as viewers, felt very different about the action and the violence, I think. Uh, it's like it's like Dingus uh, talked about that horrible bit in Die Hard 5 where they're driving these tanks over traffic, and there's people in them. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the filmmakers are so tone deaf at that point, yeah. they don't realize that certain people would be watching this, and rather than cheering for a big heavy vehicle driving over traffic, we're thinking, there's people being smushed. He's killing people. Right. He's right. supposed to be there to help them. He's yeah. on vacation. And we felt that same way in Furious, I think, five. Yes, right, exactly. One of them. Five, yeah. And it been six. Wait, six. So even though it's super convenient that suddenly London is completely deserted, yeah. I, I feel it's kind of important to let us just enjoy guilt-free action. See, right. well, I wouldn't have found it guilty. I would have enjoyed it more. Kelly Wan, you, once again, you're, you're making the mistake of assuming that you share sensibilities with <laughs> other people who go to movies. I'm with you. I love a dark action film. I love horror movies. But what if uh, they'd been cheering or something like, yeah, fuck you? Like, it would have been like Crank. Because remember in Crank, all this crazy shit's happening, like, in public. Like, he's fucking Amy Smart in public. Do you really, though, not understand the difference in tone and approach and goal between Crank and London? It's not that I don't understand the difference. It's just that you prefer Crank. Yeah, yeah. Fair and I think that would have been. I think it would have worked here. I really do. Like, you I really hard stick would have played. Like, if he was doing it in front of people, like, because that's his rebuttal to. Oh, you're getting a videotape cutting off the president's head with a sword. I'll show you. I'm gonna on your. He's using their video cameras to like just annihilate all of them while like crowds cheer and it's sort of like a reverse death race, maybe. Bringing back Statham. Okay. Sure. Well, the thing is, I. I I think this movie's more even-handed than jingoistic. I mean, I think that that whole thing about uh, us droning a wedding party and that setting off, uh, I mean, I think I think that this movie has an understanding of that. I mean, it it definitely makes the Americans the heroes, but it also lays some of the blame at our feet. And even in that last explosion, there are women and children that you see in one of those explosions being thrown away from a car and presumably no, all those people are being killed. You're saying that they're, they're the, the the drone strike where Morgan Freeman gloats to the main bad guy. You're saying there's collateral damage in that one. Oh yeah, yeah, you see nope, it. Absolutely not, because oh, they you announced. Absolutely do. 
You absolutely see it. They announce there will be no collateral damage before they authorize that drone strike. They clearly say no innocents will be killed should we go ahead and do it. Because they know. But you they know. See, because the thing is, I, All right. you call it even-handed. Um, so the, the moment that we saw that there was a wedding – I knew, I just knew, because this is almost a trope, yeah, yeah, that the yeah. wedding was going to get drone striked. Right. Yeah. And I don't feel that's even-handed. I mean, I feel that... But we that, did that. I mean, we, we did, did that. that, but Dingus, that is not, that, that should not be a characteristic of weddings in Pakistan. I forget if that was in Pakistan or, or where that was. <laughs> that should not be what we think of when we see a Pakistani couple getting married. But this movie plays on that. It yeah. wants us to think... That because we drone struck a wedding, because very occasionally, and, and even though there are mistakes and there is a such thing as collateral damage, I pride the United States on having very, very, very different rules of engagement from the people with whom we're fighting. Yeah, I agree um, with you on that. Yeah. So, so it, it is. I think it's being a little cheap by implying that this would not have happened if we had not drone struck a wedding, if we did not sometimes incur collateral damage. Uh, so I, I don't think of that as even-handed as uh, – I kind of resent that a little bit. Not enough Trump where it affects my – after the families. Not enough to where, where it affects my enjoyment of the movie, but I, I really don't think that's even-handed. I mean and, – and maybe that's just my political baggage because we do – we have drone struck – I think within the last year we we hit a Doctors Without Borders uh, right. camp, um, right? And we hit the wrong we hit time. the wrong embassies, and we've done yep. all right. those things. And those things are mistakes, and I understand them, and I understand what you're saying as but, far but, as but our the movie's a whitewash. No, no, I understand what you're saying as far as our doctrine is concerned. That 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 is not what we're setting out to do. But the yeah. terrorists in this movie are setting out to do that. I mean, I understand that those two things are different, but also understanding that the attacks that we've done, the wars that we've started, have created uh, have and fomented anger in in areas that create and can foment Absolutely. terrorism. Absolutely. And so I think that that's what this movie is showing from a real-world example. We actually did blow up a wedding. I mean, we did that. We did that. That's but the movie's what implication, we did. Dingus, is that they did this, that this plot was hatched. Because of the drone striking of the wedding, it, it, implying that if we hadn't done that, this wouldn't have happened. That that is the – Okay, fair enough. But the movie also says, okay, the guy's overall criminal, so it's okay to go after him anyway. And, and that, by the way, also, I think – yeah, yeah. I mean the, the idea yeah. is it wants, to make him, it wants to make him an arms dealer. Uh, right. So this, this again – so it's kind of an unfair question to talk about the political context of this because the movie – does, I don't think it wants to make a political message. No. It just kind of wants to dance it's around it. And, and to be fair, it does avoid uh, – to the average viewer, these are Arabs, and, and they're, they're, they're not, yeah. you know, these, are, these are the right. others. But the movie is very careful. Like there's no reference to Islam. Nobody says Allahu Akbar. Right. None of these people are religious fanatics as far as we know. Like the, the movie does not – is very careful to divorce this from religious fanaticism. Furthermore, that's more about family than that. Yeah, go ahead. Exactly. Further. And furthermore, none of these are Arabs, by the way. Uh, you know, Kelly referenced that in, in the in the synopsis because I think the average person will look at this and think, "Oh, Arabs." Desert. These, these villains are Pakistanis, and Pakistanis are not Arabs. Iranians, not Arabs. Afghani's, not Arabs. Um, so, so the movie, to the average person. Okay, it's about Arabs. They're going to assume it's about Muslims. 
But the movie doesn't perpetuate that. It doesn't further that. Right, right. Uh, these are Pakistanis. They are not doing this for religious reasons. They're doing it, and I like the way you put it, Dingus. They're doing it because of family. They're doing it because of family obligation. Even though they're bad guys, it's their unfair it's revenge brilliant. thing. Yeah. Um, and that's why I align it with Patriot Games, uh, because the the real reason that Sean oh, Bean yeah. is trying to uh, exact revenge is based on the fact that his brother was killed. Yeah, he's a member of the IRA, but he's right. using them for his for his own personal causes. Yeah, very good thing. That's right. Exactly. Right. Um, well, that would be, by the way, that's also these guys in this movie, these Pakistanis, are appropriating the tools that ISIS and Al Qaeda use with the beheading of the president, and it's clearly a reference to that. Even though it doesn't specifically say this is Al Qaeda, this is ISIS, that's clearly what we're supposed to think about when he's got the blade against the president's throat. There, right? Um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, what did you guys feel? This is another thing where, uh, even though I, I really liked Charlotte Riley, I wish Melissa uh, Leo had been given more. Super disappointed that they didn't do more with Angela Bassett. Yeah, it's weird that she got killed off so quick. Because that that moment where uh, she does that godmother thing kind of choked me up a little bit. Because um, I remember her. I remember her. Uh, there's this early moment in um, Olympus Has Fallen where she has breakfast with uh, Mike, and uh, you know he's been disgraced. He's been relegated over to treasury, but she still has a relationship with him, and she's the one who stands up for him and says, look, we can trust this guy when he's the only person inside the White House that they can talk to. So when she says, yeah, I'll, I've thought about it. I'm going to be the godfather to your kid. I was like, oh, wow, this is great. And then she gets killed off. And That's I think it was she makes a speech. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, I think it was a, a very transparent. Oh, yeah. and, and by saying transparent, I mean the opposite, by the way, of being like, I'm not saying it was ineffective. I think it was just transparent emotional manipulation. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, you know what? I'm okay with that if it works. <laughs> like if it's gonna be, because I was with you, Dingus. Uh, I was like, oh, I, like I was really bummed out, and it made me hate the bad guys even more. Um, you guys but, are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> no argument there. Uh, okay, I've prepared a little multimedia thing I want to show you guys. Uh, so in the trailer, as I mentioned, and and again, this just goes to don't watch trailers for movies. In the trailer for London Has Fallen. They show every single, without exception, effects sequence from the movie. Um, they also, as the trailer plays out, they show Morgan Freeman looking at a screen and going, hey, "This is what this is his reaction to something that we, the audience, uh, do not see." Okay, I'm just going to play this to you from the trailer. Oh my God. All right, so that's at the end of the trailer. We in the audience, we don't know what he's looking at. So we have to think, oh, my God, what, what did he see that he just went OMG? Here is a way that I feel that should have played. Oh, I know what you're going to do. This yep. is great. And that being the trailer for uh, Transformers Age of Extinction, <laughs> where Stanley Tucci, he doesn't, like, say it under his breath. He is screaming it. The music is like almost drowning him out because he's so distraught. Again, we don't know what he's looking at, so we think, oh, F, I got to see that movie. Uh, and it's the difference, by the way, between seeing a giant UFO sucking up all the metal out of Hong Kong versus the president has been captured. You know, you can, you can decide which one of those elicits what kind of reaction. 
Uh, there's too much going on right now. <laughs> the metal is the scream? I knew that you were going to bring up Stanley Tucci as soon as you played that clip. That's so awesome. I so need to see a, a Transformers Age of Extinction again. Because that, that was another one where I wanted to bring up a sequel to a movie that was way better than the previous one that might have been an awful movie, but boy, did I enjoy it. However, I think Age of Extinction, way, way, way over Agent 47 in London has fallen for me in terms of how much I enjoyed that, I would have to say. It makes me laugh every time you say Age of Extinction. Well, I can't. Is it? Like, I, you remember the name of that one? Like, oh yeah, it's that Dark Side of the Moon. Only Kelly Wan because there's it's a reason a, for this. Because of what happens in the movie, they fight a dragon <laughs> turtle. There's a reason for this, Kelly Wan. It's because I don't remember what Age. the numbering is of the Transformers movies because I, uh, I, I, right. I think it's four. It might be three. Four two. No, it's four. It is four. See, haha, you know. It's two. <laughs> I know, but that makes more sense to me than remembering the phrase Age of Extinction, which to me is amazing. There's, there's Dinobots I'm, in that movie. Of course it's Age of Extinction. Age right, of Extinction. Because Dinobots went extinct. They did? They got you see them, do you see them roaming the world today, Kelly One? <laughs> no, I guess that's a good point. And I don't see the dark side of the moon either. One, two, three, me, let me, one, yeah, I was so glad we got to see this, and I knew we were all going to like it. I, I wished I'd gotten to see it with you. Oh, about it. You were like, oh, man, I wish you had too, because I was so excited during it, and everybody else was just there. I was in a packed theater. I actually got the oh, last wow. ticket in the theater wow. the, okay. on the on the show in the winter. And I was doing all kinds of like, oh wow! Oh. The guy next to me was like, yeah, I just want to put my popcorn back on. Yeah, right. It was Morgan Freeman. Uh, well, the, the person I went with, she asked me, D- "Do you feel that it benefited from lowered expectations?" And I will say, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's not a marketing thing necessarily. That just has to do with the movie that preceded it. Uh, if you want to make a sequel be good and fun and enjoyable, make the first movie not very good. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good idea. Actually, yeah. Wait, how uh, does this happen, though? That a sequel is better than the original? Yeah. Alien? It's funny, that is kind of the exception of the rule in movies, isn't it, Kelly Wand? Like, a sequel tends to milk the original and, and not be as good. Yeah, there, there are certainly exceptions, but yeah, you're right, that's the rare case. Yeah, you guys and your lethal weapon example. <laughs> Wait, 300, that's another one. That's the one I was Exactly. No, that's a great one. There you go. Empire Strikes Back. Another good one, Dingus. Very good. Well, that wasn't like the first movie sucked, though. Like, I thought 300 was lame, but I thought the second one was amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I I think we're in the minority on that. Speaking of Gerard Butler. Well, Kelly Wan, speaking of things that are hot, what is this week's 3x3? Hey, now. I'm so excited. I don't know why. I didn't think this would be a good topic, but I feel now it is. So maybe you disagree, but um, it's the three best flamethrowers in movies. I actually like this topic. I mean, really? It, yeah, it's it's very specific. That's kind of the issue with it. There's, there, I think we're all going to talk about more or less similar the same ones. There's a handful of them. Is that a bad thing though? Like if we all just converge, we get it over with sooner. Isn't that like a good thing for society? Uh, I don't know about the good of society, but I agree with you, Kelly Wan, that being very specific isn't necessarily a bad thing. Absolutely. And also, like, if we if it's all like the same ones, then you've like 
you've nailed that topic. Like, oh, there's only three flamethrowers. Well, I wouldn't go that far. No, no. Actually, this is a richer topic than I expected. Hmm. Let me curious. See, uh, Dingus, there are no flamethrowers in Midnight Run or Rushmore. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. There are in Patriot games. Mm. Save it. All right, all right. Don't scoop someone, Kelly Wong. Yeah, thanks, Kelly. Is there really a flamethrower in Patriot games? I don't remember. No. Well, then we know what's not on Dingus's three by three. It's still on my list, though. It's Red October. Between brain scan and Kelly, one, you wait your turn, young man. I'm oh. going first because I'm introducing next week's top. Wait. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So I'll be going first, then Dingus, then you, Kelly One. So stand by. My third favorite flamethrower in a movie, and the fact that this is number three, gets at how good the topic is because the other two I have are better. Um, so the flamethrowers in the thing, or actually, it's just the one flamethrower they share. Uh, is so awesome for how versatile it is and how many functions it plays in the movie. Because it, it, it's used to torch the dogs when, when the thing breaks out amongst them. It's used to kill the guy who, I forget his name, whose hands turn into claws when he's out in the snow. And that's a, that's a great visual. Um, Bennings. Snake Plissken. No, Dingus. Ugh. Oh, sorry. That's Silent Snake is what you're thinking of. Oh, sorry, uh, Silent Snake. It's it's used to heat the wire when they're doing the the blood test. Uh, there's a key moment in the defibrillator scene when it kind of sputters and it's unreliable. Popper. Uh, but it's so it's such this great elemental contrast to the cold that characterizes the thing. Yeah. I mean, the thing's Arctic setting is. Uh, Antarctic, I believe. Yeah, it's yeah. it's Antarctic setting. It's so key to to. It's just a key part of what makes it such a good movie. And I love that their main weapon is the the polar opposite. Get, Get it? it? One? Yeah. Of of the cold of the Antarctic. So the and am I right, Kelly? One? Do they have two or just? I think one it's just the one. Yeah, I think so. It's my number one too, by the way. But, um, when McCready gets locked out, right? He's the he has the flamethrower, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering about this. Does he have to construct it? I mean, is no. it is it something says, that's jerry rigged or is someone, it something? When, during the dog scene, some someone goes and Max says, "Bring the." Fl-, he says, "Need the flame. Bring the fl- flame." Right, right, right. Yeah, like why would they? Well, maybe they have one to like <laughs> melts if. The, if the, the snow cat gets frozen or something like that, right. maybe it's for that. What you said, it's like the reason it's my number one is like they found it's like a movie where the flame, they, it's like the only movie where a flamethrower looks useless because they're surrounded by when ice, like it's just like a candle in the darkness. So it's like the the awesomest weapon, like reduce, it's like still very fragile. And and what's kind of cool, Kelly Wan, is I doubt that John Carpenter thought about it at that level. He probably just thought it was cool and awesome. And I, I think there are a lot of things about John Carpenter movies that are just accidentally, inadvertently great. Right, <laughs> especially uh, that one. Yeah, and I think of yeah, so golden. I like the music. Uh, is the original the thing? Do they get the James Arness carrot one? They use a flamethrower in that, don't they? I don't know. Fire. They used to kill every monster. Fucking Frankenstein. Them. They use flamethrowers. Well, I think I'm, I'm sure this movie will come up too, but also in another monster movie. It, well, right. but I, I so because I'm pretty sure they do burn up the James Arness carrot. I wonder if it's part of the the original uh, short story. Who goes there? Which the thing is based on? Yeah, like, uh, I remember. Does the fact that if there's a flamethrower, is it from the source material? 
Uh, I don't remember a flamethrower being in it, but I remember the blood test scene is in that short story right, by right. John W. Campbell, and like, there's, but it's like a bunch of dudes, like way more than like three, and like every time it's like multiple of them turn out to be the thing, and then they all just like club them to death, like in in the group in that story, which yeah. makes me wonder, like, why didn't the thing turn into something? And I guess you think if they had a flamethrower, they could have just used that instead of clubbing them. Yeah. Yeah, so wait, for the thing which, um, if you could pick a scene with the flamethrower of all of them, who'd you go with? I just remember so vividly the one where Kurt Russell can't get it to light up. In right, right. The defibrillator scene. Like, that's where I'm like, you know, the flamethrower is cool, but oh my god, look at it now. That's how it works? Like, they have to spark yeah. it up? <laughs> you don't yeah. just, like, press, you don't pull the trigger like a gun. You have to spark it up and get it to, to go, and it, it's not, it's like the scene in a, in a movie, in a horror movie. Where the car won't start. Right. Uh, it's a key moment. Uh, yeah. Well, what, what would you uh, pick, Kelly Wand? Uh, I like the one where they use it on the spider head guy, Norris. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. You got to be up and kidding me. Right, right. Yeah. Because you think it's going to get away because you see it, like, scuttering off. Right, right. Of troll in the background. And then... There's, it's just the flame. And it also makes, like, the coolest scream when they kill it. With that. Yeah, and that whole dancing around and its legs is, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I like when he kills uh, Windows, too. Did you say the word scuttering? Yeah. What a cool fun. word. Well done. No. Skittering's also a cool word. Well, say yeah. you just combined okay. scud. You just combined scud, which is a verb, and skitter. Very good, Kelly Wand. I like well, scutter is S-C-U-T-T-R, and skitter yeah. is S-K-I. And Scud is S-C-U-D. S-C-U-D, yeah. Uh, Dingus, so the thing isn't on your list. You're not piping up and saying, oh, that's my number two. No, I did not put the thing on my list. I'm not a thing uh, expert like you guys. Hmm. Wait, I do not pour whisker. uh, I do not pour pour whisker (laughs) whiskey on my computer. I do not like the sound. All right, well, then, Dingus, what is your number three if it's not the thing? Right, here's a little bit of dialogue from it. Sir, the villagers kill them all. Mm, that's from uh, one of the Thor movies, I'm pretty sure. Or Rambo 5. It's not, but I was really thinking this week um, about real-world uses of these, like in, in war movies and whatnot, um, and I only could come up with one, um, but I couldn't find any way to watch the thing. I don't own the movie, um, and I couldn't find any clips from it, so I, I had to leave it off. But, uh, but when I was thinking of this particular instance... Um, it made me think of um, a modern movie uh, that has that kind of a scene um, where flamethrowers are used to raise a village. Um, and I don't mean raise, but I mean raise. Um, and that is from uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens. Uh, it's from the early part of the movie, and these are the flametroopers um, when uh, he says, kill them all. The, the flame troopers, uh, come in and, um, there are these clone troopers that have these, uh, flame thro- throwers. And when I started to think about it, it really reminded me of those scenes from movies in Vietnam that I, and I couldn't come up with an actual one, um, where, uh, where the good, or the guys who think they're the good guys, um, start just, destroying a village or taking out people. Uh, so I really like those. I actually kind of like the way the flame troopers, flamethrowers work. Well, if you guys don't mind me going out of order, my, my number one is, is from that. But, but Dingus... Uh, Your number one is from that? 
is no no is from an instance of a flamethrower being used in Vietnam, and I imagine Kelly knows this one as well. Yeah, uh, but there, there are flamethrowers aren't from Vietnam. I mean, they they go back to World War II when they were used, especially in the Pacific Theater, to get the Japanese out of bunkers or to burn away foliage. Um, and there's a great, not great, but in that early part of. I hope I'm not scooping anyone, but because we're talking about it as a topic now, uh, there's, a, there's a shot in, in Saving Private Ryan where they're using a flamethrower to clear out a, a German bunker um, because you can't shoot into a bunker uh, yeah, very yeah. well because they're, they're impervious to, to artillery. That's it's a great hard, one. It's hard to shoot a gun through the little viewing slit, so you just yeah. burn it with a, with a flamethrower. Um, so the one I'm thinking of, in my favorite example, partly because of the abruptness of the cut is – one of uh, is a great great moment in war cinema in movie movies about war and even storytelling about war and that is the the abruptness of the cut from the post from life in pittsburgh and deer hunter yeah that's the one i was thinking of that i couldn't find anything about yeah so it just goes straight from them in the bar it's the day after the the wedding and they've gone hunting and they end up back at the bar with the deer that they've killed this is my uh, number two, by the way. One of the guys is – oh, Kelly, very good, Kelly. So we're going to have – this is my number one. The guy is playing the piano. He's playing a sad song, and they're all just kind of winding down. Yeah. He gets to the end of the song, and it cuts with no title card, no fate yeah. to black, just an abrupt cut. It, it might even be a smash cut to the helicopter strafing the village. Robert De Niro is lying on a, a pile of, of, of bloody GIs, and he's bloodied. Uh, a Viet Cong soldier – throws a grenade into a, a spider hole where a family where a bunch of children are hiding and, and, and women the grenade goes off a woman crawls out of it she's she's charged she's she's wounded she's clutching a baby which might be dead the Viet Cong soldier just cuts her down with his gun and Robert De Niro grabs a flamethrower and, and fries the guy and that one abrupt horrifying cut and the violence of that sequence that's just a great moment in cinema about the brutality of war, and the fact that it's a flamethrower that he picks up. You know, mm-hmm. not a gun, not a pistol. So, so he picks it up because I couldn't remember how it happened. I just remember it being like this moment of vengeance. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's it's in response to this. So I mean, he's he's going to kill the, the Viet Cong soldier anyway, but it's after the Viet Cong. As a matter of fact, I think he's even trying to do it as he sees the soldier aiming at the woman and the, the baby. Uh, but he doesn't save him in time. And no, Kelly Wan, he didn't have it. He picks it up off the ground. Like he's oh. laying there. Basically, he's either feigning death or he's been wounded. He crawls over and grabs someone else's flamethrower, and that's what he uses against the Viet Cong soldier. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, that's my favorite flamethrower just because flamethrowers are a brutal weapon, first of all, and it's just used in this incredibly brutal moment as one ingredient of a lot of horrifying bits in, in that sequence. Um, so, Kelly, that's, that's your number two? Uh, yeah. yeah. And sorry, Dingus, I cut you off. You were going to say something. No, I, I'm curious about the cut that you said happened again. Yeah, it's, it's just a couple scenes because I don't mm-hmm. – I, I haven't seen Deer Hunter in many years. Um, I kind of wanted to watch it again this week, but I couldn't. Um, but I don't know what you're talking about. Could you re-describe that to me? I, I apologize. Yeah, it's just a, it's just an edit. It's just normally if if you have a, a scene that's set in the same location, you just you just edit scenes together, and there's no there's no buffer between the edit. You don't have an you know you don't have an establishing shot. Like if there's a scene of you and I talking, and there's a shot of me, and then a shot of you, and we're talking back and forth. You don't cut to the outside of the building to show where we are. You don't put up a title card. 
However, if we then go to a different location, a, an editing trick to show the audience, hey, some time has passed, we're going to a different location, put in an establishing shot, fade to black, do something to distinguish it from just the normal edit between two people talking in the same scene. Five years later. Or something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so there is no ceremony. Michael Cimino just goes straight from – is it George Zunzo? Like who's the guy playing the piano? Yeah. He just goes straight from the guy, the last notes of his piano song fading out to uh, the helicopters coming in. It's just it, – it cuts from the inside of the bar straight to the green of Vietnam and the village and the helicopters coming down out of the mountains. Oh, holy um, shit. Wow. Like there's no – and again, no fade to buy. It's just that abrupt. Yeah. Um, and the last hour has been a wedding. Yeah, the last hour has been a wedding and they're right. hunting with Robert De Niro's This Is right. This bit uh, and, and they just end up at the bar drunk, winding down, uh, tired and – Nothing about, oh, they've shipped out to Vietnam, or, oh, here's yeah. basic training, or, oh, they're being deployed, or, oh, yeah. Robert De Niro's in this unit. Um, it's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, it is brilliant. Um, Why can't everything be that brilliant? Are we I know. Well, yeah, like what happened to Michael? Yeah. Because we're not in the 70s anymore, Kelly, that's why. No! See, Dennis is right. I mean, 70s cinema isn't what, what? it used to be. You're always on his side when it's math. Very good, Tom. Kelly Wan, what is your – so the thing is I, lo- I love your pick because I'd completely forgotten that that is clearly what J.J. Abrams is referencing in that yeah. scene to show you the brutality of the, the first – third order? What are they called? The order. The first order? I think it's the, the first order, yeah. Yeah, to just show us to, – to recall the brutality of these guys is we have in mind – you know, World War II with the Pacific Theater was – too far ago, really, for us to have that direct frame of reference. Villages were torched there. And by the way, I think there's a scene – I know there's a scene of a flaming village in Thin Red Line, which is World War II in the Pacific Theater. Mm. I don't recall if they explicitly show it being uh, burned down with a flamethrower. I don't think so. Yeah, so I don't think it's explicitly a flamethrower scene. Mm. Uh, but the, the the brutality of flamethrowers in Vietnam, thing is, I, I think people – it's people jungle, relate so more to that. It's the jungle. It's flammable. Yeah, like we use napalm. It's hot already when you get there. Um, yeah. Well, they're right. not just using blasters. I mean, I mean, they're they're burning. They're raising the place. Right. I mean, exactly. Leveling it. And and that is because J.J. Abrams knows that we realize we associate the brutality of flamethrowers with, with those kinds of actions. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Great pick. Kelly Wand, uh, what's your third favorite? Uh, fl- oh, so Kelly Wand, your first is the thing. Your second is Deer Hunter. <laughs> yeah, so this that is means my this, with your third. This is what happens, Kelly Wand, when you pick, even though it's a good topic, uh, one so specific. Yeah, so I don't care. I don't all, like we from, all we need from you, Kelly Wand, is your number three favorite flame, flamethrower. My number three is uh, from a movie that Dingus just saw, if what he said is true, within <laughs> the last two weeks. Wow, Dingus, it sounds like you're being called out. What? No. What have you watched? Uh, what film series did you watch last week? What film series? Yeah. Lethal Weapon? <laughs> when is there a flamethrower in Lethal Weapon? Oh my god. Lethal Weapon 4? Did you watch that one? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't tell you the first. Is that the one where Joe Pesci gets uh, effed in the drive-thru? That's no. two. Your favorite. Or your least favorite. I couldn't tell you the first thing about Lethal Weapons 3. Okay, I haven't actually seen all of Lethal Weapon 4 because it gets really. It opens with 
for no particular reason that's ever explained, a guy with a flamethrower in a, like a, <laughs> a diving suit or something, like wandering around in a street, blowing up gas stations and shit. What? Dingus, do you believe him? Is he making this up? I swear I to don't, God. They only got lethal weapon three. <laughs> oh, what? You, get, you have to see like the first two minutes. Why is he in a diving suit? Like with a mask and a snorkel and everything? Does he have flippers on? Yeah, he is he wearing flippers? flippers? Does he have the whole weight belt going and the knife strapped to his <laughs> and then the joke is, you see, since Lethal Weapon's funny, it's not just action, Tom. Uh, Riggs and Murtaugh. Is it Murtaugh or Murtaugh? Roger Murtaugh. Yeah. Riggs and Murtaugh are uh, they're huddling. They're huddling behind the car, and while they're trying to shoot the guy with the flamethrower or blow him up, however they can figure out to do it, uh, Riggs is telling Murtaugh, hey, I have a kid on the way or something. He's like, damn, Riggs, shit, motherfucker, yeah, too old for this shit. So, like, that's, like, the funny part is, like, it's a domestic exposition scene, but they're, like, fighting a guy with a flamethrower at the same time. Uh, how did, so I'm going to guess, Kelly Wan, tell me if I'm right, they take uh, him out by shooting the tanks on his back and he blows yeah, up. That's how the, I know. Is it, Am I right? I, I'm just guessing that. Son of a... Mm. Some other cops show up and and like they shoot him too, I think. And then the cops are all, "Wait, so Riggs is going to be a boy or a girl?" <laughs> and then like the gas station blows up. Oh. L.A. So yeah, cop banter uh, while fighting the guy with the flamethrower. I don't think they do shoot his his pack though. Like okay. that's almost too easy. I think they like use like the rate. There's like he's standing in a puddle and then they drive a car into him and electrocute him. Or something okay. Like what? Well, okay. It seems a little. Yeah. Just shoot the shoot it's the convoluted. Shoot the tank on his back. That's what you do in video games. Uh, I don't know anything about those, but <laughs> you um, you never find out who this guy is or what. It has nothing to do with the rest of the plot. It's just a totally like let's open with the guy with the flamethrower. Well, Lethal so. Weapon Two just opens with this uh, yeah, car chase yeah. in progress that you don't really I know anything it. about, right? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. They're like Lethal Weapon Two. I can't believe you both yeah, value it so low. Wait, the, wait, wait. Why are you saying both? It's Dingus who underestimates Lethal Weapon. It was your under, though. It was under your London is Fallen. Right, but it's the best Lethal Weapon. There is no... Lethal Weapon has never been better than Lethal Weapon 2. No, I know, but Lethal Weapon 2 is way better than London has Fallen. <laughs> Lethal Weapon 2, the, the opening car chase has a purpose for the entire movie. Whatever, nerd. Now, getting back to you, you said, Tom. I've got one word for you, Krugerrands. Fuck it. <laughs> It's been revoked. Remember when you said that? No. Wait, knock, knock, knock it on Heaven's door. Do you remember that part? Yeah. See, it's a tricky. It's tricking us. All right. Well, I think since Kelly Wan knows Lethal Weapon Four, Dingus, we're going to have to defer to him as the Lethal Weapon expert on this podcast. A listener will write in and tell me that it was Tangerine Dream. Do that for all. My second favorite flamethrower in a movie. In twenty-eight weeks later, the plan. Oh. Contain an outbreak. It, it's code red. If there's an outbreak, Idris Elba oh, is going to announce code red. And sure enough, this being a horror movie, there is an outbreak. Code red is invoked. It involves many different steps. And I've had this argument with many people. The point of 28 Weeks Later is that code red works. So people have, have suggested that 28 Weeks Later – the military is incompetent. They screw up by, oh, I wouldn't lock all the civilians into a basement. That's terrible. No, code red, everything works as it's supposed to, even though it went terribly wrong by having the infection already present inside the perimeter. They contain 
the the outbreak of the rage virus, what happens is the soldier, one soldier in particular, actually three, don't do what they're told. They do not follow the parameters of Code Red, and they smuggle someone who's infected outside of, of London. Uh, so it's their fault Code Red doesn't work. The planning the military put in place does work, and the planning consists of, A, lock down all the civilians in one place so that they're not wandering around, uh, B, Snipers and machine guns will take out anybody wandering around who might be infected. C, call in an airstrike, uh, a napalm airstrike to firebomb the area. D, uh, poison gas the streets. And then finally, have flamethrower crews running around torching anyone they see, even if the person is apparently human. It's, It's that ruthless. And... Jeremy Renner, who's this character you love in 28 Weeks Later, that's how he gets killed, and it's horrible. Oh, fuck, I forgot that. It's Damn it. terrible it's pushing scene. a car, isn't well, it? Well, he's saving them. They're, they're, yeah. they're in a car. He's pushing their little Subaru or whatever it is. Yeah, and the car won't start. Uh, Rose Byrne, uh, and he, he tells her, look, get the kids to the, the stadium or Harold Paranoia is going to pick you guys up. Uh, you know, And there's, there's poison gases all around them. And he, he, he says, okay, you pop the clutch when I tell you to. Yeah. I'll, meet, I'll meet you at the stadium, even though he knows and she knows that he's not going to make it. And then he gets out of the car, gets behind it, pushes the car so they can pop the clutch, just as the flamethrower crew comes up behind the car and tries to torch it. And and you see this horrible scene of he's burning to death, and he collapses on the ground, and it's terrible. Uh, he's so likable in that movie. I mean, that's yeah. – Yeah, yeah, he really is. That's a great choice. Damn it. And everybody, by the way, this is a central tenet of, of zombie movies, is all the best heroes have to die. I mean, that's everybody gets killed. You can't, you know, there's, there's no Rick Grimes in a real zombie movie. That's, that's nonsense. So so anyway, that's my second favorite. And, and favorite, by favorite, I mean, it's the worst one. I hate that flamethrower. It's terrible. Yeah. It kills Jeremy Renner. Yeah. Oh. All right. Because you feel something. I, well, I, I love twenty, uh, and I, I watched the end of it again this week. That that whole end sequence—it's just like this. It's, it's just this great. Uh, Juan Carlos Fresnadillo just does so such great action. I mean, the 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 apocryphal. Actually, I think this is true. Danny Boyle apparently directed that first bit of Twenty Eight Weeks Later, which is which is brilliant. And then Juan Carlos Fresnadillo did the rest of it. But that that action sequence after the outbreak. That's just some brilliant zombie movie making and just straight out action movie making. And the crowd stuff. Holy fuck. The, the crowd stuff and, and just how they go from one bad yeah. thing to another. And that bit where, where Harold Perrineau in the helicopter chops up the zombies in the, yeah. the, yeah, the yeah, field. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. Uh, That's something I haven't seen before. Unless you count Down to the Dead. Right, right, where it's just one guy and the helicopter's just sitting there, right? It hasn't even taken over. It's, taken it's off. more about the zombie's expression. Of right. <laughs> He's the one, he does it to himself, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or Spectre, the awesome helicopter's inspector. Well, you know, that's so dingus. I, I remembered. So when Harold Perrineau is going to pick them up in the park, and the one blonde guy who survived, and he sort of demonstrated he's the coward, he freaks out, and he runs over and he grabs the landing skid, and he's yelling, get me out of here, get me out of here. And Harold Perrineau is having to wrestle with the helicopter to keep from losing control. Great stunt work with that helicopter. Like, I I don't know how much of it is CG, but flying it around super low, uh, making it look out of control, flying it near actors, I imagine a lot of that was, was composite shots. Um, but really, really great stunt work that made me realize 
man, Spectre was dopey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, compared to this dope, this Spectre helicopter scene. Is there a scene in any movie with a flamethrower that sucks? I'm just trying to think. Like, it just seems like it's an instant uh, but- success. Yeah, give me a chance here. Okay, okay, okay. Sorry. Well, you know, you, the moment you said that, Kelly Wan, I was like, sure there is. But then thinking about it, you might be right. We'll, we'll get to that. So, Dingus, what is your second favorite flamethrower in a movie? All right, I'm shocked you guys didn't bring this up. Um, uh, this is a flamethrower that makes me feel really happy. Um, and this is Mad Max Fury Roads. Uh, uh, was that, yeah, it was hovering. But see, no, he doesn't get to use it against anything. It's kind of gratuitous. No, but it's, it's, it's an awesome flamethrower. No, yeah. but but what I love about it is uh, I, I just love the flamethrower itself. Um, and what I loved about it when I saw the movie was that it made me think of Brutal Legend. And it it made me understand why this particular uh, vehicle was in existence. Um, it 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 so it's it sort of contextualized all of what Martin Joe was doing with his forces and how he was marshalling them and how he was using different different vehicles and different um, different personnel for different things. And this guy on the front of that thing uh, with this awesome thing is he has a name. He has a name, you know. Who's the guitar dude? Oh, come on, Dingus. Don't tell me you don't know it. If you picked it, you got to know his name. I don't know his name. Just, Dingus! What? I haven't seen this as many times as you have. I just love Well, it's not. Movie. I don't think it's referenced anywhere except the credits. Um, what is it? do you not know his name? Uh, you told me and I forgot. Oh, so my God, you guys. He's the what? doof. <laughs> I got a real D O O L. How can you guys not know that? <laughs> that was my that was my alternate nickname. <laughs> I know it now. Um, but he so does. He, it does. There is an actual fight that happens with the uh, flamethrower. I mean, the flamethrower actually. Uh, it's a symbol for the whole movie. Uh, but I, 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 regardless of what happens, whether or not it's used as a weapon, I just love it as a thing that is used to marshal the troops. Um, and I just think it looks so awesome. Uh, and I was back and forth between this and trying to look up something for um, uh, Deer Hunter, uh, which, uh, quote for Deer Hunter, I had, a deer has to be taken with one shot. Um, Wait, what's your, uh, what's your uh, Fury Road quote? Oh, it always shows everyone in the old world had a show. I, I love that quote from the movie. Right. That whole idea of, like, here we are, and we all have a podcast. Well, and, and the Doof Warrior is kind of a show in and um, um, to himself, isn't he? Yeah. But the well, main also, thing I love about him is the, is, is the thing that, and we talked about this during the podcast, is, is how much I loved the video game Brutal Legend, thanks to you, Tom, and how this, this movie made me think of that. Because, yes. because of him. The, the Duke also, Warrior, is, he's on that uh, that big truck with the drums in the back, and he gives all of the drivers within uh, a certain radius a morale buff. Absolutely. Yep. Right. Yeah. And when I looked it up this week, because uh, I, I didn't get a chance to watch Fury Road this week, but I looked up that scene, um, what YouTube then suggested that I watch is Conan O'Brien uh, doing this. Doing, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. A- you say YouTube. I never would have suggested that. What? You're saying that I suggested you watch Conan O'Brien's dopey tribute. Oh, YouTube. Oh, you okay? Right. I thought you accused me and no. Kelly Wand of no. recommending some dippy Conan O'Brien video. No, the the next thing in the YouTube thing was Conan O'Brien doing a cold open for his Comic Con appearance, where he does this thing with uh, with Andy Richter, uh, where he's playing that character. Um, 
which was totally weird. But um. uh, the the guy who is the Doof Warrior, I believe he was an actual guitarist with. And I'm not music aware enough to know what it is, but he's he's actually a, a, a fairly I don't know about well known, but he's an established guitarist. And there's this great interview with him where where he talks about being approached by George Miller, and and so he explains what this part is and what to do. And he's like, I he's completely enthusiastic about doing it. And he's blown away that this even exists. I think much like those of us who saw the movie. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's great hearing this guy who plays the doof warrior talking about the process and and being. Yeah, it was a real functional thing too. It wasn't. Right, right, yeah. That that was not uh, CG, I guess. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I like it as a character thing because it's like it's a fuel-based economy where oil and gas is 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 a major thing, and it's like. What's the main villain's name? Vermithrax? Johnston's? Yeah, Morton, Morton Joe. Joe? Yeah. Morton Joe. He's like, not only am I going to like, not only do I have tons of fuel, but I'm gonna, I can use even more of it for this guy. Well, okay, so Kelly Wan, to be fair, this is established in Road Warrior. Do you guys remember the flamethrower bit from Road Warrior? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so because uh-huh. they're they're holed up at that refinery, they've got gas to spare. So their defenses, they have on the wall a flamethrower that defends the front gate. And when Max goes out to get that the 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 semi and to drive it back through the siege, they open the gates to let him in. And one of the uh, one of the bad guys, dune buggies, is going to get in, but the flamethrower torches it uh, and drives mm-hmm. it away uh, long enough for them to to close the gate. But they can use a flamethrower because they're at a refinery. You know they've got gas to spare. Uh, right. I think in Morton Joe, because of his his connection with Gastown, the idea being that yeah, he he's got fuel to spare as well, and water, huh? But Boy, it's a negligible say. amount of fuel. Uh, one of the weird things, that, and one of the reasons that I love this character so much and loved him from the beginning, um, is is that he plays a role. I mean, he's like the bugler. I mean, he's he's really important. For what they're doing, yeah. for what what the the strategy is as a force, and so what was weird in in reading through threads about this was people saying that guitar guy, I don't get that because what? it you makes, makes love perfect Australia. sense to me. It makes perfect sense to me. I mean, he's he's yeah. he's the guy who's drumming them on, and I mean literally the the drums are right behind him. He's the one who's who's calling them to battle, and I love that 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 they spent that much attention. That much attention to detail to make this guy such a central part of what is going on in that movie and in calling them to battle. Yeah, I mean that's that's so much of the brilliance of what he did. Kelly just used the word world building. Is there is this idea that they're not just doing a a, a drum flamethrower chuck because it looks trippy. I mean, there's this idea that it fits that it has a role, just right. like the Cirque du Soleil guys. You know, there's spikes sticking off the side of the the truck. So if you want to get onto it, you have to drop down onto it from the top. Yeah. So they go up on these poles and swing them over. Uh, yeah, there's just so much like crazy wacky stuff yeah. that you think, oh, that's why they're doing this. You know, that's and it's up it's, to you to figure it out. It's not right. like spelled out for you. Yeah, there's no title card. It's gonna like there's no crawl. It's gonna explain yeah. it all. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, Dingus, you've got one that you think is obviously that, that you obviously think is better than the Doof Warrior because that was only your number two. Right. What is your favorite flamethrower in a movie? All right, this one I believe that the uh, quarter three uh, three by three cop who is Kelly Wan this time is probably going to pull me over. Uh oh, uh oh. Yeah, Kelly Wan, real quick, uh, undo that little snap on your on your service revolver. <laughs> you might have to pull. No, Dingus, you made it. Oh. Yeah. What? Ooh! <laughs> that was not me. The listeners need to know I did not. Just Tom, why did you make that noise? That's so weird, Tom. 
<laughs> all right, Dingus, what do you got? All right, here's a quote from it. You know all those dangerous mutants you've heard about on the news? I'm the worst one. Is it Mickey Rourke in, um, in Iron Man 2? No. Uh, this is from uh, X2, X-Men United, the second X-Men movie. And this is the character Pyro, uh, or also known as John Allen. Oh, uh, uh, Kelly Wan, pull him over. Hurry. Kelly Wan, uh, turn on the siren. Well, he's a human flamethrower. Yeah, he is. Like oh, my candle. God, you're the, you're the worst 3x3 three three cop ever. What? I just, I you know, I believe <laughs> we already have enough people in jail. All right, Dingus, explain it to us. All right, so this is one of my favorite scenes from any of these X-Men movies. And this is uh, outside, the sea, outside the house uh, after um, uh, Iceman has had to tell his family that he's a mutant. And they've had that weird, awkward conversation where the mom says, can't you try not to be a mutant? And um, the thing is, John Allendice, Pyro, uh, is really excited to use his powers. Uh, and he uses it earlier in the museum, but not to throw flames, more just to knock some guy down who's being a jerk to him. But it, in this particular scene, this is clearly flamethrowing. If you watch this scene, and I did... <laughs> I love this movie. Um, he's a flamethrower, dudes, uh, because he is taking such pleasure in his mutant powers. At last, he gets to actually unleash them. And this is a moment where the police have them pinned down because um, Bobby's jerk little brother calls the police. And all the police come. They shoot Wolverine in the head. And um, Pyro says, all right, I'm telling all you guys I'm the worst. And he just literally does the flamethrower thing. He, he like knocks a policeman off on that side. He knocks a policeman off on that side. He throws flames through the middle of the house, and then he starts blowing up cop cars. Um, but it's all flamethrowing, and it's that pyro thing, and I just think that scene looks so great. And I, I really wanted to go a different way with this topic, but I couldn't do it for the whole thing. Um, I wanted to go historical, but it didn't work out. All right, so Dingus, before I make too much fun of you, is is X Two <laughs> United the one where Wolverine gets his flesh shredded because he's going to save Jean Grey at the end? Is that no, the that's, that's, the, that's the Ratner one, Tom. Well, that's the one I like. All right, that's then I'm going to make fun stand. of you. The last You like the last stand? I don't know. I like that bit. I don't remember the rest of the movie. Oh, I like all right. It. Well, that's um, so Dingus. You're saying this is another Brian Singer one, and it's completely non-lethal because it's PG-13. Absolutely non-lethal flamethrowing, if I'm not mistaken, right? Like no cops are hurt in in the use of this, this flamethrower. They're is that singed. Right? They're definitely singed. Like maybe an eyebrow gets burned or two, but but no 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 third degree burns are administered. Is that correct? Uh, as far as I know, yes. <sighs> Comic books, man. <laughs> you like the Punisher? No, I know. Like those are the the R rated comic books. And no, I don't. <laughs> First of all, no, I don't. And second of all, that's oh, an R rated comic. Book. Sorry, you already said you did. Uh, Punisher. I do own a copy of uh, of the Punisher, uh, the Garth Ennis. Oh. Uh, who got you that? Someone who really loves you. Some nerd bought it for me and forced me to read it and made me realize, wait a minute, this is just the Warzone one with the, uh, yeah, with the Russian and stuff. Anyway, I, I know a lot about comic books, so yeah, the Punisher. Uh-huh. The Punisher kills people, right? Yeah. Uh, all right, so uh, Kelly Wan, you're uh, one, two, and three. Your you're number one is the thing, so uh-huh. what do the listeners have for us for their favorite flamethrowers? Uh, the listeners, yes, exactly what I was thinking. Here they come, my, the listener submissions I will now read on the internet. 
to the internet while you guys listen. <laughs> Jacob Hyde writes, number three, the homemade flamethrower. Ah, and Phantasm 2, Tom. What? More for Tom. Phantasm? I don't, guess I don't remember... The they, flamethrower. I don't remember them remember making the a flamethrower. shotgun. I do too. Well, the, the, with the edges sawed off so that it has a wider spread with the bevel kind of applied to the barrel. Um, yes, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> when I think of homemade flamethrower, though, I think of a completely different movie. Uh, oh, yeah? What's well, that? Well, we're going to get to it because I'll be shocked if one of the listeners doesn't bring it up. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm always happy to hear a Phantasm reference in a 3x3. Three three. So yeah, me too. One Jacob, we didn't, thank you for one, that. One we don't even recognize instantly. Uh, okay, this is really only on my list because I needed something to replace Aliens, which I'm sure has been scooped at this point. <laughs> nope. It hasn't. We all avoided it. And, that's the, and I, I, I think like, Alien, I mean, Aliens is fine, but it's Alien is the best one, I think, where they have to jury rig a flamethrower. They're not even called that. What do they call them? Incinerators. Ah, good. Oh. Right. To explain why you would have one on the spaceship. Right. <laughs> or why you would and have to distinguish it from where they get rid of their trash. Well, do they do they it's make it or flamethrower. I know they make the the thing that change that detects micro changes in air density. They uh-huh. they make the cattle prod. Don't they make the flamethrower? Like, doesn't Ash no. put it together or no? No, I think Parker isn't it Parker who's the avocado. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think he already has them because they're. I mean, they you know he's got those little bottles that screw okay. up the bottom of them. Okay. Because I'm pretty sure doesn't Ash make the little electric prod. I don't remember that. I remember him making the micro changes in air density thing. Okay. So the flamethrower, that, that makes sense. They would already have it for incinerating, hence it's not a flamethrower. It's One of them makes spaghetti. But anyway, if I could bring the house down. Jacob Hyde continues. Number two, this one's kind of a cheat. <laughs> the oil spout in There Will Be Blood. The image of this burning torrent of oil erupting from the ground as the sun is setting with Daniel Plainview watching it, imagining all the money this oil pump is going to make him is great. Justification, the earth is throwing fire into the air. Wow. I hate pulling over listeners. Tell you what, if he can pick that, I can pick the, the explosion in Sorcerer, where the oil well uh, explodes and it's constantly spitting out fire. So is he allowed to do that? And then we can bring up Sorcerer as well? And can I, can I bring, bring up porno. Can I bring up Scent of a Woman? Oh, dingus. <laughs> do the That's line for us now, dingus. you got to do the line now. <laughs> Go on, finish the line. Uh, I don't know what the line is. I don't know what you're talking about, Tom. It's, <laughs> I'm going to take a flamethrower to this place. Okay, go, dingus. You're on. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Ding is getting uh, stage fright. He won't even do the line. Yeah. Oh, I thought you wanted to put it in an MP3. <laughs> I don't know why he's intimidated by Al Pacino. It's uh, O'Donnell. He hasn't even seen Jack and Jill, which is the quintessential Al Pacino performance. Oh, wow. No flamethrowers are referenced in that one, though. The no soccer balls. flamethrowers were hurt in this movie. All right, so we're cutting off Jacob. What? So uh, what? Jacob, Jacob is not pulled over for his number two apparently because Kelly won. Well, this is a lawless frontier now. Okay. Yeah, it's New Orleans. It was Jacob. And I'm not team. even getting graphed. Number one, the flamethrowers in the thing. See, he says plural, Tom. 
So maybe there is more than one. The things? I don't think so, because wouldn't there be like a standoff with flamethrowers? Like you would think that Childs would have one, McCready would have one. Maybe there is more than one. I don't know. It seemed to me it was a precious commodity, and there was just the one. Yeah, they call it the flamethrower. Right. It's not go get one of the flamethrowers. Go get the one of the flamethrowers. Right. While this is the only choice I could see being picked by more people than aliens, I couldn't bring myself not to have it as my number one. When I first saw the thing, I spent hours wondering why they had these flamethrowers around in the first place. I settled on. They kept them around if they had to get the defrosting process started quickly on doors or helicopters. I absolutely love the blood test scene where they're using these incredibly powerful weapons to heat up a copper wire, something a candle could come. <laughs> Keep up the great podcasting. <laughs> right. That's why they can't get it started later, right? Because <laughs> they've been using it in a wire, yeah. Yeah, use it as a match. I need to start a cigarette. I need to get a cigarette. <laughs> what a bunch of... Di- well, they're not scientists. <laughs> Paul Weimer writes, Hi, guys. Three best flamethrowers. Let's light this three by three up. I love that Paul tries. I mean, you got to give him credit. Yeah. He's all love. Number three in The Watchmen. What? Oh, that's right, the comedian. As a Vietnam-era flashback, the comedian Ah. uses a flamethrower as a weapon of choice, and as a multitasker to also light his cigars. Oh, man. Here's a good one, Dingus. Number two, Fireball, Jim Brown, one of the stalkers in the running bad, uses two flamethrowers against runners at once, and a jetpack to boot. (laughs) What? I forgot Jim Brown was in that. He plays Fireball, Dingus. Yeah, and he has to put on these like, like crappy armor, doesn't he? He has a jetpack, so that's three packs he has to wear. Two flamethrower packs and a jetpack. <laughs> that's pretty funny. How is that possible? Even like in the movie, like never mind. Number one, I'm aware I risk the three by three cops for this one. Well, it's only me. There are plenty of dragons who throw flame with their breath. And oh, my God. Seriously, Kelly Wan, you're going to let him get away with this. Uh, I almost went with the rain of fire. <laughs> I really don't. I'm with you, Tom. If he's doing Vermithrax from that Dragon Hunter movie with Peter McNichol, whoever that is, if he's doing that, I would let him get away with it. Otherwise, bust this guy. What bust if he's doing guy. Smaug? Is Smaug okay? No, no Dingus. I'm you, throwing my badge in the river. The Hobbit movies don't get good until the third one. Oh, I watched that. I think you're a dumbass. Well, <laughs> I don't necessarily disagree, but you're wrong. Yeah, I might be a dumbass, Kelly Wand, but you're wrong. That's CG just, light that battle. That is a great line. That's speaking of yeah. line from London is falling. Yeah, speaking of flamethrowers, Kelly Wand, sick burn. Ooh. <laughs> Double sick burn. All right, so Paul uh, Weimer, is he? Which dragon is he talking about? It better not. I hope it's not. That's so. the dumbest thing you've ever liked. I thought. But I saw it. I was like, wait, what, Tom? How bored were you? I know, right? <laughs> he took the bullet. Like, yeah. He took the air. Yeah, that's true. He took the flame. I will go with Smog, where concludes, parentheses, Benedict Cumberbatch in The Hobbit, The Battle of Five Arbies, for his fiery and gleefully malicious destruction of Lake Town. Oh, you know what? Okay, since he's talking about the third movie, I think Paul's right. It belongs on his list. Absolutely. What? Paul Weimer, good call. Why? Because there's a lot of flames? Well, no, because that's the, that's one of the things that's not sucky about the third Hobbit movie, is it opens with a big action scene, and it then continues with a big action scene that's completely different. It opens with the dragon getting out, trashing Flame Town, and there's these action set pieces there. 
<laughs> Lake Town, whatever. <laughs> they changed the name, Dingus. I don't know it's if you know that. Providence. <laughs> it's called Flame Town afterwards. Yeah, uh, there's no defenses against fire at Lake Town. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, buckets. At any rate, I like Paul's pick. Uh, uh, Andrew Shee writes. Gentlemen, such a rich topic. I've decided to restrict my choices to flamethrowers that are used by trained warfighters in realistic tactical settings. Sorry, doof warrior. <laughs> in no particular order, number one, Hydra flamethrower. Pretty good. He's, huh? he's, oh, wait. This weapon combines an incendiary weapon with basic power armor, which allows the user to carry one flamethrower in each hand. Red Skull's foot soldiers are... I knew it! Yeah, Captain America. Oh, wow. Good call. And the tactical advantages of this technology, which they demonstrate by boxing and Captain America leading directly to his capture. Captain America, the first Avenger is the name of the film. The good one, a.k.a. the good one. What? It's a good Captain America. The second one's got the elevator. And Bucky. Bucky's in both of them. I'll have you a spoiler. Mm. He's in all three, spoiler. I mean, number two, D93 Incinerator. Wait, they call them Incinerators in Alien and... Or in Aliens and Star Wars? There's nothing exceptional about the technology behind this flamethrower, but I include it because it illustrates the counterinsurgency doctrine of the First Order, whose flamethrowers burn down a village in order to save it. It's called a D93 incinerator? Yeah. All right. Take that, nerds. Dingus, if you had a Stormtrooper action figure, you would know that. The D93, Dingus. I have a Stormtrooper bobblehead on my desk. I have one that shoots uh, water. Okay, okay. I was making a squirt gun joke. Yeah. Number three, ZX miniature flame projector. Wow, I love that Andrew has the name for these things. Yeah, that's amazing. This wrist-mounted flamethrower is put to use by Django Fett as he faces off against Mace Windu during the Battle of Geonosis. I no longer like that he has names for these things. (laughs) Recognizing that a Jedi is only dangerous at close range, Django uses the ZX to force Windu back and off of a balcony, opening up valuable distance and giving himself the advantage of high ground. What I do like is that Andrew has forced you to read some nonsense about the prequels. <laughs> he then immediately negates these advantages by using his jetpack to jump off the balcony and chase Windu. Oh, well. <laughs> chase Windu, his brother. <laughs> the clones. Thanks again. Can't wait for the inevitable podcast on best grenades. Regards, Andrew. You know, <laughs> uh, you, Andrew. I'm trying my best. Grant Stewart writes, difficult topic, but here goes. Number three, flamethrowers are such an absurd choice of weapon. They are so chaotic and can only really be used to destroy property or agricultural stuff. To use them on people is so uncontrollable and such a disdainful way to dispatch someone that they really suit the comedian using one on some poor wee Vietnamese guy and watchman. That's his number three. (laughs) Number two, 
I'm going to antagonize the three by three cop here. So I hope I catch him napping. In pitch black, there's a middle aged dude who's a connoisseur of fine booze. <laughs> Number one. No. As he gets separated from his friends and his sources of light start to die, he takes a mouthful of spirit and sprays it from his mouth and lights it simultaneously. This buys him about five seconds before he presumably gets eaten. Because it lights up the scene and you can then see all the creatures around him, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, wait, what is that? I don't understand what's happening now. It's not. Yeah, if you're in the dark, the creatures can get you. As long as you're in light, you're fine. Um, right. So he, oh, yeah, yeah. he does the whole fire spitting thing, and it lights oh. up the area around him. And if I'm not mistaken, it shows that the creatures are right at the edge of the, the light. Well, waiting for him to finish doing it so that right. they can. Right. Oh, okay. All right. It's in the trailer. If there was a three-by-three three cop on duty, he might get pulled over for this. The cop? Well, is that sort of like – because in Alien, when um, Dallas is in the um, – in the vent, he's got the flamethrower, or the incinerator, or whatever, um, and he turns at the last second and illuminates the alien who's right there. Is that kind of the same? Kind of, but does Dallas, is it the flamethrower? That, or, yeah, is he using the flamethrower for I, illumination, or does he have a torch or something? No, yeah, but he's, got, like, he's got the flamethrower with him, but he only like shoots it down one passage, like when he's in Junction 3 or whatever. Um, but it might be a flashlight that shows the alien. But it is the same kind of thing, Dingus, where it was dark, and then when it gets okay. lit up, you see, oh, it's there's something there, ah! Yeah, right. a bunch of CG there. All right, so I'm Grant, going to allow it. Well, you, you're not even on duty. Grant, you're lucky <laughs> there's no cop on duty, so you got away with it this time. <laughs> My radar gun is actually a flamethrower, but I found that out while I was trying to measure something with it. Number one, this is a good one. The mysterious dragon we've heard the impressionable locals talk about in Dr. No turns out to be a tank with teeth painted on it and a flamethrower. Oh. Dr. No? Yeah. Wow. This is a great one. I'll see your Sigourney Weaver and raise you an Ursula Andrus. If Fry's a black dude, the black character in that, he dies to the flamethrower. Hope it's not a spoiler. 62? You guys didn't see Dr. No? No, I said it's a great one. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't expect that to come up. I thought Tom was the one who hadn't seen any James Bond movies before the Daniel Craig ones. Please. How can you grow up and not see in that era and not see James Bond yeah, movies? Yeah, you can't help it. Okay, so you're not and, that person. And by the way, that's a real thing. Like, they would mount flamethrowers on tanks. Uh, it's not like they just made that up for, for James Bond. They're tanks that actually have flamethrowers as, as part of their, their arsenal. It seems a little racist that the black dude who you think would have seen a flamethrower before in his line of work thinks it's a dragon when he sees a giant tank with a flamethrower on it coming towards him. Oh, it's obviously a medieval beast instead of, I can hear its engine. Arthur Giovanni Jelly writes, number three, The Amazing Spider-Man. Emma Stone makes a flamethrower using a can of hairspray. So many what? people would be getting busted. Boy, the the three by three police department would have been making so much money in fee in yeah. fines and fees this week if Kelly Wan had only been on duty. Ruin the night shift now. Uh, Rorschach makes a flamethrower too in Watchmen. So there's two Watchmen flamethrowers. 
Basically, now a flamethrower is anything that fire comes out of. A candle, at this point, could be used as a flamethrower. Well, it's throwing flame, you see. Like an oven burner. My favorite flamethrower is the one that uh, Terry Garr has in Young Frankenstein. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite flamethrower... Do not put the flamethrower back. Exactly. Wait, my favorite flamethrower in Young Frankenstein is Peter Boyle's finger, after Gene Hackman thinks it's a cigar. What do you hear one of my runners-up? Number three, The Amazing Spider-Man. Emma Stone makes a flamethrower using a can of hairspray. While this is not technically a full-blown flamethrower, it, me- it is a means to spewing fire at an enemy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe how, many, how much shenanigans are afoot with the listeners tonight. I know. Really, usually we're the dumbasses. Yeah, at least all nobody over. chose Pyro. Hopefully this pick will not result in an arrest, especially since this movie made Kelly One's top ten for 2012. Yeah. <laughs> is that the last movie we saw together? Or was that Hobbit? The three of us. Me, you, and... I guess it was It Follows. I'll shut up. Number two, The Road Warrior. The large flamethrower that is used to defend the refinery from the humongous and his gang. In a world that's starving for fuel, they use fuel to defend themselves. Because they've got fuel to spare. That's the point. Yeah. It's the ultimate gotcha. Number one, Watchmen. During the scenes of Vietnam, we see the comedian gleefully burning his enemies with a flamethrower. Not just a cool image, it also shows the comedian in his purest form, a man who loves violence and appreciates the power that being a government-sanctioned superhero gives him. My theory is that all these people picking Watchmen haven't seen Deer Hunter. Yeah, we're old. Nick D. writes, number three, Aliens. I love the look of the flamethrower that Ripley takes into the alien nest at the end of the movie. I love the way a little torch burns in front of the nozzle and the sound of the gas hissing as she walks. Yeah, I definitely love the sound of that thing. Because you don't know if it's the flamethrower or the aliens. Huh. Number two, Saving Private Ryan. Here's a pick to bring the room down. During the invasion scene, the Allies managed to overtake one of the towers and declare out any remaining Germans inside. They fire an old-fashioned flame thrown into the tower, which results in a brutal scene where men burn alive and dive out the windows while the Americans watch and let them die. It's actually a bunker, not a tower, but okay. If I was, like, you know, a historical yeah. purist. No, yeah. bunker defense games. It's an Edith bunker. Okay, okay, we're just going to play word association. I'll say a word. You guys tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Ready? All right, do it. No, let's, let's finish Nick D's picks, and we'll play that later. It'll what? be a fun game. It'll be great. <laughs> I thought saying Edith Bunker was going to be cool, so I don't know what you're going on about. <laughs> I, prefaced it with, I prefaced it with something dumb. That was the problem. Oh, like Edith Bunker wasn't dumb, Dingus, please. <laughs> Edith Bunker was... A d- she wasn't the brightest of characters. We're not going to talk about All in the Family. Save, that for, save that for the TV podcast. Yeah. All right, Does so Nick really... favorite flamethrower from all of flamethrowerdom is... 28 Weeks Later, Jeremy Renner killed. Awesome, yes. Speaking of bringing the room down... Yeah, it's true. No one's saying Lethal Weapon 4. I'm very upset. <laughs> That movie should always be invoked. Num- Robert Perry Cruz. 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 Robert Perry Cruz. Sorry. 
hey guys, I was surprised so many flamethrower scenes I could think of when I put my mind to it. Here are my three favorite examples. Number three, in the thing, Kurt Russell heats up a copper wire with a flamethrower. <laughs> I like that's the part they picked. I thought, yeah, it has blood samples of the base staff. I didn't actually know they could do that. I love how utilitarian his flamethrower becomes. But I suppose if I were stuck in Antarctica with a shape-changing alien, I'd keep my best weapon close, no matter what. Keep it close, real close, huh, Tom? I don't know what that's a reference to. It's a thing line. Oh. No, maybe it's watch him, watch your partner, watch him real close. Is that it? Kelly Wan, I'd rather not spend the rest of the winter tied to this effing chair. <laughs> Number two in Fury Road, the presence of a mutilated guitarist set atop a mountain of speakers seems superfluous to a Morton Joe's pursuit force. Then the guitar shoots out a stream of fire. Something about how such an innocuous thing could become an instrument of death made hearing that guitar riff in the distance give me real chills. Is he mutilated? I didn't realize that. For, where is he mutilated? Yeah, he gets his like, mask ripped off and he's all weird looking. The Doof Warrior is? Oh. Yeah. Oh. Huh. Sad. I don't remember that. From his instrument, like there was an accident. I mean, that would make sense, Art, maybe. Awesome. But aren't they all? Aren't the? Aren't all the slaves, servants, whatever those dudes are called? Aren't they all mutilated in some way? Well, I don't know about mutilated, but there's some idea that the war boys uh, that there's something oh, cancerous that's affecting them. Because yeah. Nux talks about his, uh, like he's named. I forget. It's not Mo and Larry, but he's named the two tumors on his neck. Oh, okay. The tumors. Number one, remember when Jeremy Renner wasn't a big star and got immolated by a flamethrower and 28 weeks later? I should have known he'd become one because it really bummed me out when he exited the movie, sacrificing himself. I think I would have preferred if that annoying doctor had gone out to start the car instead. Thanks, oh, my God. Story. Robert Perry Cruz, what a jerk. That's Rose Byrne. You can't. <sighs> I, it's too bad there are no cops on, on duty because he should get pulled over for that, Kelly Wand. Yeah, that's well, domestic violence right Rose now. Byrne being annoying? Ugh. How dare he? I was removed from duty or relieved of it. I accept your bluff. Duty. Kelly Wan being AWOL is not being removed from duty. <laughs> he, let's get AWOL ASAP. Chris Markardson writes, Hey guys, I'm pretty sure the guitar flamethrower and Ripley's flamethrower have already been chosen, so these are my next favorites. <laughs> Number three in Fahrenheit 451. Oh, good. Oh, uh, nice. Good. A, little, a little Francois Truffaut to class up the joint, Markardson. Yeah, nice work. Thanks, Markardson. Get in here. Huh. See, I just instantly think Bradbury and you think Truffaut. Well, he's talking about, this is a movie podcast. Yeah, we're talking about movies. Yeah, but all right. In Fahrenheit 451, use of the flamethrower is two-person activity with one fireman carrying the fuel while the other dons safety clothing and uses the flamethrower to dispense with books. See, if I say Bible, though, you don't think, oh, John Houston. Don't you just think Bible? We're not doing the word association game. Number two, Watchmen. In a flashback to Vietnam, the comedian uses a flamethrower to light his cigar and then said of surrendering Viet Cong soldier on fire. The smile on the comedian's face drives home his inhumanity. Number one, I hate to use the same movie twice in a three-by-three. My favorite flamethrower is one that Rorschach improvises in Watchmen. <laughs> try and deal with the police after he's tricked into going over to Moloch's apartment. Thanks, guys. Chris. I like that line reading. 
since Chris serves on the city council, I can't pull him over. <laughs> 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 Top work, Governor. Is, okay. Do they use flamethrowers to light the uh, the that last thing that uh, Chris? Uh, one of the things that Chris said reminded me of Schindler's List. They don't use flamethrowers to light the piles of victims, do they? Ooh, dingus! Gross. All right, sorry. <laughs> that's gross. Yeah. Is that? I mean, that that's awfully grisly, but I don't know that that was something that. The no, I think I think not. I kept trying to think of war things, but I couldn't. I couldn't really come up Super with anything besides Deer Hunter, and I couldn't verify it, so I just had to drop it. Deer Hunter's about a, a war on deer, too. So is that it for the listeners, Kelly Wand? Because I have a runner-up. Yeah. Deer. Uh, so I don't remember. This, this is a movie, a horror movie I saw when I was a kid that really freaked me out because it, it just was like weird. It involved nudity and in a weird situation. <laughs> Well, what freaked me out is that there's a movie. It's called something stupid like, like "Don't Go in the House." Like that. That actually might be the name of it. I should Google this. Um, but it's about a dude. That's the who, best movie title ever. Because <laughs> you know it's going to happen. It's like just waiting for that part. I am going to Google this. So it's about a dude who like who just like kidnaps women, well, and yeah. he he chains them up in a room that is that is covered in. Um, like metal, or it's not aluminum foil, but it's like reflective metal. And he chains them up naked, and then he comes into the room in a in a hazmat suit and a flamethrower, and he and he like burns them up. And it, I don't know how they did the special effect back in the day, but it's some weird, grisly, just icky '70s horror movie. And I think it is called "Don't Go in the House." You know? Don't go in the house. Whatever you do, don't go in the house. <laughs> yep, don't go in the house. 1979. Wait, that's really the name of it. Yep. You just, just, it sounded so random when you said it. No, here's the, here's the, I'm going to give you guys an IMDb synopsis. You guess the movie. A disturbed young man who was burned as a child by his sadistic mother stalks women with a flamethrower. Guess the name of the movie. Um, that would be 40 Days, 40 Nights. Don't go in the basement. Close. Dingus wins because he's closest. Yeah, I don't know why. So don't go in the house because I guess because he's like creepy and when he kidnaps Chicks are not supposed to go in the house. I don't Saying know. basement means getting closer to what you. Because usually about. people just go in the house. Right. Exactly. That's yeah. That was the conventional oh, wisdom oh. back in 1979. It's eh, just go in the house. But this movie. <laughs> right. This movie dared to suggest don't go in the house. It was a parody of the other movie Go in the House <laughs> by the Zucker Brothers. <laughs> Get in there. Uh, remember. Uh, I- do you guys remember a war movie? And I couldn't remember which war, war movie this was, where a, a dude, where, where guys had flamethrowers, but they were called Life Boys. What? <laughs> Dingus, that's from, that's from Dingus's Warhammer miniatures or something. Oh, really? But do you know what that thing is that that looks <laughs> like? Boys? It look it looks like a um. Life maybe boys. I'm getting it wrong, but it looks like Solar uh, Babies. No, it looks like some sort of a. a a life boy on your on your back, um, and that's what it was called in this war movie. And I can't remember the name of the war movie. Are you saying life buoy or life, life boy? boy? Life buoy, like a life buoy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because it like, looks like uh, like something you would throw to somebody uh, to save them, but it's on your back. But I can't remember the name of the war movie. It's driving me nuts, but. Uh, anyway, that was one of the war movies. I kept trying to think of war movies because I wanted to make this more realistic, but then I ended up going with X Men <laughs> and Star Wars. 
Jacobs, is the movie maybe called Don't Go Fight in That War? <laughs> I'm just trying to help. I don't know. Maybe so it's Don't Come Into This Theater. <laughs> don't throw that flame at me. Um, so, uh, 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 the, uh, be flame the other uh, runner-up I have was contributed by my girlfriend, um, who's a, a very good friend of ours uh, named Alexandra. Tell her to write it in. We have email for that purpose. I told her to, but she said, no, no, you can just have this. Anyway, so it's been, it's been hand-delivered. This just in. The, yeah, this is a hand-delivered message, and it is the um, the uh, things that the Ghostbusters dudes use because she contends that those plasma things are akin to flamethrowers. First of all, they're not plasma things. They're proton packs. And, yeah. and second of all, no, not flamethrowers. Kelly Wand... Well, I guess she can do it because there's no cops on duty. Otherwise, I'd tell oh, Kelly Wand to pull her over. Well, I said, well, we had a, another Kelly Wand um, topic that was lasers, and that seems to be more laser-like. And she says, no, no, because those those things don't go in a straight line like lasers do. The, what, a, what is this but energy being thrown forward, which is very much like a flamethrower would do. Yeah, it's they, proton beams. They go in a straight line unless you cross the streams. That's slightly curved. Boy, yeah, she got away with it, Kelly One. Can you believe what? it? Someone comes in here with Ghostbusters as a flamethrower, and she gets away with it. It's a shame. The lawlessness these days. Well, you know. She also it's, suggested Firestarter as a flamethrower. Yep, Drew Barrymore, my favorite flamethrower of all time. <laughs> Since she works at NASA, though, it would make sense that she would go with a proton pack as a flamethrower. This could be a real flamethrower. Is that your impression of her? Yeah, <laughs> my impression of her and my impression of Tom are the same. Uh, do we have any more runners up now? All right, next week's three by three. You guys ready for this? Yes. Uh, I was a little reluctant to do this, but uh, if, if you guys will indulge me uh, for a little bit of history here, uh, a year and a half ago, I announced that I'd been diagnosed with throat cancer, um, and it meant a lot to me to be able to share the news with you, the listeners. You guys were amazingly supportive, and I appreciate all of that. Uh, so it's only fair that I follow up with the good news. Uh, after announcing it, I, I sat out for about six months and I received treatment, chemotherapy, radiation therapy. Uh, I re- recovered from that. And while I did that, Christian and, and Kelly were great about keeping the podcast going. Uh, and it meant a lot to me when I was here at the house just feeling awful, listening to Christian uh, doing the podcast and recording it in another room and then going back and listening to the podcasts. Uh, and since then, I've been back for a year. It's, 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 it's exactly a year, actually, this podcast since I returned, which was the podcast for It Follows. Um, and in the past year, I haven't offered any updates to you guys, the listeners, partly because I was kind of in limbo. Now, my cancer was treatable, but the danger, because it had spread into my lymph nodes was that it might have spread somewhere else. Your lymph nodes, they're, they're part of your, your circulatory system, and they go to all sorts of places in your body. So when you get cancer in your lymph nodes, it's possible that it could have spread to other vulnerable places. Uh, and it can take months for discernible tumors to develop. So even though the treatment seemed very effective, my oncologist w- was kind of reserved and saying, well, you're still at high risk, you know, we're going to do follow-up scans. We'll see how those go. If you can go by a year, then that's going to be a good sign. If you can get through a year without anything developing, that'll be great news. So a month ago, 
I had a full scan to see if there was any suspicious cell multiplication going on anywhere. That's a, that's a sign of, of cancer as the cells multiply quickly. Uh, and what they do, you can't eat anything for a day except protein. It's like being on an Atkins diet. You can just have like meat. I don't even think you're supposed to have like vegetables. You can't even have like bread. You can't drink anything that, that tastes good. So you basically have to just eat protein for a day, and then you go in the next morning, and they inject you with radioactive glucose. Uh, and then they, they do a scan to see if that glucose gets sucked up anywhere at an inordinate rate because the cells are multiplying fast. If that happens, they then are like, well, this is concerning. We need to look closer at this area. So I went through that. I did that. It came back clean, which is great news. Uh, you know, Down the road, I'm still at risk than more people, but there's no immediate peril, uh, and the signs are, are very good so far. So it being a year, I wanted to share that uh, with the listeners. Now, since then, uh, in this past year, I haven't really been sure how to talk about this, how to talk about having been diagnosed and then the treatment, uh, how to tell people what I've been going through, why I've lost weight, what's happened with my voice, why I have trouble eating. Uh, I don't I don't want to be a downer and bring stuff up like this. I don't want to lumber in on on a normal conversation like some Frankenstein monster with, with this terrible thing. Uh, and it made me think of many years ago. I was out with a bunch of folks I didn't know. Uh, it was a girl I was dating at the time. I was meeting a, a, her circle of friends. Uh, and we're out with a bunch of people. It's at a pool. It was one of those L.A. things where a bunch of people are at a pool. And at one point, she leaned over to me, and she pointed at a guy, and she whispered, uh, that guy has just been treated for testicular cancer. Uh, and I remember... He was a normal-looking guy. He was super young. He could have been no older than than, than thirty or so. Uh, and I remember thinking, "Wow, that's you know, he doesn't look like someone who had cancer. He was just chatting away normally with people. Uh, he didn't look gaunt or sickly. His hair hadn't fallen out. Uh, he just seemed like a normal guy." Uh, and I felt awful for him. And when I got to to talking to him later in the day, I had no idea what to say, so I didn't say anything. You know, I just talked to him about normal stuff. But having been through what I've been through, I now know that what I should have done, you know, if I'd been talking to him for any reasonable length of time so that it was appropriate, uh, and if it was well known enough that it's something that one of his friends would have mentioned to her boyfriend that, that he had cancer, I, I feel like I should have asked him how he was doing, and I should have wished him luck with his treatment. Uh, and I just think back to that now that I've gone through it, you know, that that's what I should have done at that point. So a couple of weeks ago, I was at a party at the house of a very close friend of mine, and a guy showed up who I didn't know, uh, and in introducing us at the front door, and there's a bunch of people standing around, uh, she said that he worked at the cancer facility where, where I was treated. She's like, hey, this is so-and-so from a place called City of Hope. He works there. Uh, and she introduced us in front of all these people. She said, Tom, this is – I don't remember his name. This is so-and-so, so-and-so. This is Tom. And she said – Tom was just treated at your hospital. And she said this in front of a bunch of people standing around. And I remember I, I was kind of surprised that she mentioned it so casually. But more importantly, I, I was hugely grateful that she brought it up without like making a big deal out of it and without it without me having to feel awkward that it was something that someone had sur surreptitiously been told um, and that it was out there. Because I I I, I don't feel any shame or anything about it, but I can't help but feel awkward when I bring it up and when I talk about it. 
So sometime later in the party, someone came up to me, and she asked me about it, and we talked uh, amongst many different things. We, we talked uh, about what it was like to have cancer, and she was very – it was just a great conversation to get to have with someone that I was meeting. Uh, it wasn't the center of the – I mean, we talked about many things, but it just felt great to talk about it normally. So – all of this is a very long-winded way of, of saying that this is something that I don't mind talking about, and I actually enjoy talking about it. So that's why for next week's 3 by 3 I cannot help, of course, but have noticed how cancer is used in movies. You know, these days in, in the modern world, people don't die until they're 60 or 70. It just doesn't happen, statistically speaking. If, if you want someone to die in a movie – you kill him or her with either a car wreck or cancer. So what I want to talk about, and I hope this doesn't make anyone uncomfortable. It certainly doesn't make me uncomfortable. What I want to talk about is where it works, where it doesn't work, where it's effective, where it's cheap or where it's meaningful. Um, but I want to restrict it to movies where cancer isn't the main event. You know, I, I don't, I don't, uh, no fault in our stars. I haven't seen it. I'm sure it's fine. Uh, 50 50 is cute. Uh, but those are movies about cancer. I don't want those brought up. If you want to use beaches, I, I don't remember enough about beaches, but if you want, you can use beaches or something. I leave it to your judgment. But what this three by three is notable uses of cancer in movies that aren't about cancer. Because over the last year, I have paid a lot of attention to it. And, and I'll just bring this up because I don't think anyone's going to use this. Uh, in Deadpool, like that's a sort, uh, sort of an important thing in the development of this character. He's like, oh, God, I have cancer, and that's how he gets his superpowers. He's being treated for cancer. Uh, I don't know what it's like in the comic books. Kelly Wan, you can brief me on that later. Um, but I noticed that that's not – is that off the table? Is Deadpool an example? You know what? Maybe I shouldn't have brought that up. But but that's something where I noticed it, and I actually didn't mind that. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. We need to yeah. we need to drive the character to make a risky decision. We'll uh, lose the omnisexuality, but we'll keep the cancer in. Right, right. Well, so that is from the comic book then. Yeah. Okay. Uh, actually, you never find out how he got it. It's not from the comic book. You, so you never find out how he got omnisexuality. Uh, yeah. But in the, in the comic book, it's not a matter of him having been diagnosed with cancer that, that led him to do the experimental treatment. Maybe I'm wrong. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Yeah. So you know what? I take it back. Go ahead. Pick Deadpool because I, I don't right. – uh, I shouldn't have – that's just the most recent one where I've noticed, oh, yeah, there's there's cancer and the movie's using it. But it's pivotal to – But Exactly. It's pivotal, but it's not in a movie about cancer. So it but would it apply. seems like an automatic word. I mean, it seems like uh, I don't know if I would use it as a placeholder word, but I, I totally understand what Tom's saying. When I heard them say that in Deadpool, was, I kind of was like, "Oh my gosh, everybody's bringing up cancer." And and I don't think like I just think it's like we're now noticing it more. I don't think it's anything yeah. new. Uh, so what I want from you guys, and you can do what you will with it. All I'm asking is that I don't want to hear about Lifetime movies of the week that are specifically about cancer. Fifty fifty, like I said, it's cute. I, you know, movies about cancer, whatever. I just want to know how it's used in movie. I want to know about notable uses of cancer and do what you will with the word notable in movies that aren't about cancer. What about Sweet November? Is that the Richard Gere, Winona Ryder thing? No, it's Charlize Theron and Keanu Reeves. You know what, Kelly Wan? Put that on your 3x3 three three and then I'll tell you what about Sweet November. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, if you have some ideas for this, I would love to hear your thoughts. Send them, send them in to 3x3 at 
quarter to three dot com. We will read them on the air. Uh, and we will be seeing next week 10 Cloverfield Lane. <laughs> one of us, this, this is a little teaser for you, the listener, one of us will not be seeing it in English. <laughs> Should make for a very exciting podcast. Wow, that's going to suck for you. Uh, who, who knows if it's me? It might be Dingus. Kelly, I only see movies in Polish. <laughs> we'll uh, find out. I don't see uh, So join us for that next week. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Mil- Miltsky. It's Christian Morosky. And we had with us Kelly Wand. You'll play fuck off with me. La 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 London calling through the faraway towns Now war is declared and battle come down London calling to the underworld Oh, I thought it really was I need to listen to consonants more. Dinkus, how do you feel about consonants? Do you feel like they're worth their weight? I don't know about you, but I'm thirsty as fuck. (laughs) Gerard. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept Apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice, you make! Every day, the same damn joke. Hmm. Wait, that's from... Oh. <laughs> Groundhog Day? <laughs>